All right, Justin. A, B, C, D, or E. Let's go with C. Uh, Movie, random movie news. You know, I think I had something for this until we started like setting up and then I think I forgot it. Um, <laughs> Heather brought one up. Apparently they're doing a slasher version of the Grinch. Yep. Um, apparently the, the trailer for this, uh, Mario movie has had, has caused a lot of controversy. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh, like you have like Jack Black as Bowser sounding immaculate and you have a uh, Chris Pratt sounding like Chris Pratt. Okay. Which I don't know to me isn't personally the worst thing in the world. Cause Mario doesn't actually say a lot. You know, there's a few things. Yeah. But it's not like he's ever sat down and monologued. So. Yeah, you can't have that man going, yaha, woohoo, the whole damn movie. I, I, don't, I just don't <laughs> understand what people wanted. And a lot of Mario's, like, lines, especially like old Mario, is kind of like stereotype in Italians a little bit. I kind of agree I mean, with that, Justin. I like when it's, he's like it's hella egregious. It's a me, Mario. Yeah. Mamma mia. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just um it's a little uh hammy and kind of stereotypical. So it's kind of weird to see people like, oh, he doesn't sound sound like the Italian stereotype. That's weird. And I don't want to be. In I that kind of camp. agree. I'm so, not. I'm not necessarily that high on Chris Pratt. Ride, man. Yeah, I'm not necessarily like high on Chris Pratt, but I'm also thinking, what do you guys want? Because otherwise, it's a fucking ethnic stereotype. Like, yeah. So I'm thinking like more in the spirit of like maybe like the Mario Brothers Super Show, where you had an actor who played him. And just talked and it was fine. You know what I mean? Now, maybe even still at that time, it was kind of a stereotypical Italian portrayal. But it, but I don't remember Captain Lou Albano who played Mario. I don't remember him. I mean, there were references like, oh, pizza or oh, <laughs> oh, great spaghetti. And, you know, they would say stuff like that. But. You know, he talked. It wasn't like, and everybody was fine with him. So I think as, as long as Chris Pratt is sounds at least from Brooklyn, I guess, right? If they, as, I think, uh, maybe I think that, that would be New the York. benefit. I think that'd be the benefit. Get somebody that yeah. can do or already has a strong New York accent. Yeah. I think that'd be fine. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, we bullied Sega into changing the Sonic design. We could surely do it with Chris Pratt, too. No, I don't think you can. Because Nintendo also doesn't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, their systems, 
you know, graphically speaking, like they always buck trends just for the sheer fact of like, you got the PlayStation 5 and this and that, and they got these high powered systems, and then they've got the Switch. And mm-hmm. guess what? Switch fucking sells. It's not it's not graphically as powerful as a lot of shit. Switch fucking sells. So Nintendo don't give a shit. And sometimes people just find anything to complain about. I love the trailer because everybody looked like they were supposed to look. Uh, Bowser had a doom ship. There were Koopa Troopers and they were all the distinctive designs are the same designs in the game. Everything down to like the flags that they were carrying are straight out of the Mario Brothers game. The Mushroom Kingdom looked like the Mushroom Kingdom. Toad looked like Toad. Mario looked like Mario. When Luigi was running at the end of it from those spiny Koopas, the the dry bones Koopas, they looked like themselves. And there was lava on the floor and Luigi was jumping around. I was so happy watching that trailer. Because if you've grown up with the Mario Brothers movie, the original movie, like, that trailer was a godsend. If you knew of, of that and had to sit through that. So, I'm excited for the movie. Personally, I think they should have gotten John Leguizamo to voice Mario. That would have been cool. Yeah, that would have been a cool one. It's a nice little callback. Let him fix what he knows is wrong. But also, if you've ever heard any of the behind the scenes, like making of stories with the Super Mario Brothers movie, it's right up there with Don't Worry Darling. Like apparently everyone was drunk all the time. They were writing the script pretty much as it went. Yeah, apparently Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo were just fucking lit the whole movie. They were just drinking okay. all the time because they were like, this is miserable. Let's get drunk. Like, apparently they were writing the script like every day. The script was changing. They go, they get changes. And then the next day when they go to film shit, they'd have a new script. It was just a fucking mess. And Nintendo apparently was completely hands off almost the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then that fucking movie came out and everybody's like, oh. And Nintendo was like. This is shameful. We won't have another movie for 30 years or however long it's been. So, yeah, it was bad. But, Interesting. I don't know. Didn't know that. I'm sure the thing is, is okay, maybe Chris, uh, Chris Pratt will sound a little bit off. But I'm pretty sure the movie's still going to be fine. Even if he doesn't sound like what we think Mario should sound like. I'm sure the movie's actually probably going to be good. Because I I liked the amount of detail they put into the stuff in the trailer. To me, that shows they cared about that aspect of it, which makes me think they've got a good script behind it. So, I think it'll be fine. Especially, like, it's just a teaser. We don't even really know. And it's not like he said that much. Yeah. Like there was like Bowser said more, didn't he? Yeah. In the yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's at least wait till the trailer, guys. Let's actually wait till we get an actual trailer and not a little teaser. Now, I will say this. Somebody on Reddit pointed this out, and I agree. They fucked up the release date. 
It's coming out in like April. It should be March 10th. If you look at MAR 10, it spells Mario. That's Mario Day. March 10th is Mario Day. Mario Day. Oh, that would be cool. I don't care what day of the week it is. It comes out on March 10th. You know what I mean? Like that's, come on, come on. That's just. Yeah, that would have been cool. That's just the most duh thing ever, especially because it comes out like a month later. It's like, come on. Right. Yeah. Get it together. That was, yeah, that they should have done that. You're right. Let's see. Oh, oh, it's even worse. It's even worse, guys. What? March 10th is a fucking Friday. Oh, they definitely messed that Uh, up. Get the fuck out of here. Does it set up any more fucking perfect than that? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's Weird. a fucking they done Friday, man. Get out. That sucks. Maybe they'll at least do a promotional event or something. Maybe like they'll do some sort of promotional event and maybe do an early screening or something. That would be pretty cool. You know what you movie? Know? You know what movie comes out that day that they'd be going what? up against? <laughs> what Disney's Haunted Mansion? God, they oh. would destroy it so hard. Do you think they thought that would be a problem, though? Maybe that's why it didn't release? It shouldn't be. If you put Mario on March 10th, Disney would actually probably push Haunted Mansion by a month. Yeah. It's not like it's Pirates of the Caribbean 2. It's Haunted Mansion. With Jared fucking Leto in it. Get the fuck out of here. Have they ever, like, moved a date up ever in movie releases? Well, yeah, all the time. They should do that. I agree. Maybe they'll remember it. Maybe they'll think about it. I mean, you're this far in. They're not, you know, they're this far in. They've probably got 90% of the movie done. Put it out on March 10th. Let's come on. You should tweet them. Let them know. No, like I said, somebody else already pointed it out. So I'm sure other people have. Like I said, I saw that on Reddit where somebody was like, because somebody was like, I love the Mario trailer, but it had one glaring problem. And of course they were talking about Chris Pratt. And then somebody else in the comments was like, no, the problem is, is that it comes out next year and it's not coming out on March 10th. And I'm like, yes, that is the real problem right now. Right now, I don't completely have a problem with Chris Pratt. I just also don't know, like, know what people expect. But yes, March 10th is a bigger deal to me. Because I think it's like April 3rd or something like that is when it comes out. Just missing opportunities left and right. I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like last night's Thursday night football game. That was a missed oh. opportunity for entertainment. There were several missed opportunities in that game. That was probably <laughs> one of the worst football games I have ever seen. I think so. Like, not uh, even exaggerating. Oh, what's his name? Um, the man, the, uh, that, Put on the show, the the uh, Black Wrestlers Matter show, uh, John West. Yes. Um, he was commenting on it, and he was talking about how, like, I like 
you know, I like defensive football games, but this is just bad offense. And I was like, yeah, this game is like, is the perfect example of showing the difference between like a defensive battle and inept, like, and then just awful offenses. Like last night's game was a game of awful offenses. No, don't get me wrong. There's some defensive plays here and they're like, the defense did make some plays, but I'm not going to lie. Most of the defensive plays kind of felt like the offense handing them shit. Like, yeah. oh, it was bad. It, it, it really was one of the most boring fucking football games I've ever watched. I mean, yeah, that was it was rough. the don't worry darling of football games. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I went there. I had to bring it. It's in the middle of football season. What do you expect from me? What do people expect from me? I can't not comment on football, especially after watching a historically bad fucking game. I mean, Al, Al Michaels and Kirk, uh, Kirk Herbstreet were doing the commentating for the game. They sounded like us at times. They were just talking about the most random ass bullshit. When they're supposed to be talking about a football game, they are getting paid <laughs> to tell people what the fuck is happening on the field. And there was nothing they wanted to talk about less than that game that was going on. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was awful, man. And then I was watching it with some, well, with some friends on a chat and I was like, you know, what would just be the worst thing for this to go over time for us to have to endure more of this, for it to not end in regulation and have to go into overtime. And then it, and it did. And we were just laughing. And then we said, what if this ends in a tie? And, and thank goodness it didn't, but. But it was it just very like, well could have the though. fact that that was an overtime game is just mind boggling to me. And the and the funny thing is, is it was literally one bad play call from being a tie and yeah. going into like, like, you know, having to play out the rest of overtime. Now, theoretically, that wouldn't have meant it would have ended in a tie, but it would have tied the score in as bad as that game was, would have increased the likelihood of it ending in a tie to 99%. Yep. So it was just, oh, anyway, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Makes me sad how bad it was. So, uh, you guys want to go to these movies now? Let's yeah. do it. Anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we are going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with two movies Bros and Smile. We will go recommendations and score spoiler free and or spoiler free record. Oh, shit. How the fuck did I fuck that up? We're going to go 
spoiler-free, then recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section, and then we will repeat that process for the other movie. With time codes in the description to allow you to jump around, including to the other movie. Say we're going to talk about one movie. You haven't seen that one yet, but you saw the other one. You could jump just it. And with all that, we're starting with bros. Because as Justin astutely pointed out, it's first alphabetically. So, I mean, Justin was, you were, you were 100% right. It starts with a B. <laughs> hey, sometimes that's just the easiest way to do things right. Alphabetical order. And just to fuck everything up, we're going reverse alphabetical with who's starting. Justin, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on bros? All right. So, honestly, I really um, didn't really know what to expect from the movie. I saw a, a preview or t- a time or two um, dur- during other movies, and it seemed pretty funny. So, I was like, all right, you know, we'll we'll see how this goes. And honestly, I think that when I look at romantic comedies and you start like categorizing them and saying which ones are the best ones and stuff like this, I honestly think that this probably could be up there with some of the better romantic comedy movies that we've gotten over the years. I think it's that good. I think the film is well written. It's pretty smart. Um, I, th- I laughed a lot of times at the jokes and the quips and the, the, the back and forth with a lot of the characters. So I think that the comedic timing that, that they do with the characters and the writing, I thought that it was good. Um, Billy Eichner, who he, who co-wrote this, right? Um, yeah, he co-wrote this movie. He was great in this movie. As our main character, Bobby Labor, he was great. And Luke McFarlane, um, Aaron in this, um, the, the, the love interest in this was also great too. I mean, I thought that those two were good together. I thought that they had the, the kind of chemistry that you need in a movie like this. And we've talked time and time again about romantic comedies and stuff like that on this podcast. And the one thing that we've always said, or, um, or at least for sure, I know I've said before is that a lot of these movies, you know what the ending is going to be. You probably know who's going to wind up together and things like that. You typically know what the outcome is going to be. So everything is about the journey and the execution of how we get there in whatever the whatever the couple is whatever the end game is for that couple what is the journey to get there and do we buy the ending by the time we get to the end of the journey and i think that this is one of those where the journey i thought was great um there are some similar character tropes um there there are friends of characters that serve as comedic relief at different times and stuff like that, or reflective side characters and things like that. It has that. There are moments in the script that remind you, that will remind you of a lot of other uh, romantic comedies, like the ups and downs and the, the dissension between the characters and stuff like that. 
you know, none of these things are things that you probably haven't seen before in other romantic comedies. But I thought it was just well executed. Uh, to me, uh, most of it winds up being very meaningful. To me, it told a really good story about these two unlikely people finding each other. Um, so I, and I, and I think that it was very good. And then the last part I'll say is, um, is just the fact that even though it has all those pieces and everything like that, it really felt like something like, I mean, I don't know if I want to say revolutionary in the sense that there have been other, you know, LGBTQ films and stuff like that, but it definitely felt unique to me because I can't remember too many movies like this that I've seen, like come out and be major motion movies and stuff like that. And it just be a romantic comedy about that side of love. You know, this being about the love between two men. And I, and we've seen other things and dramas and stuff and Brokeback Mountain. And, and the movie makes references to stuff that, LGBTQ movies that we've seen before, but this, it really felt like a game changer as far as it being a romantic comedy, but from this perspective and it doing it in a way that didn't feel preachy about anything. It was very unapologetic about what it was. And, um, and that was very nice to see. So yeah, I, I really appreciated this. Um, more movies like this, please, because the more kind of diversity we get with this stuff, the more we get to see different perspectives and different kinds of relationships and stuff like that. I just think the more appreciation we'll have for them and the more Hollywood will make of these movies. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this. And I hope that when it's all said and done, the word of mouth and its presence on streaming and everything like that, which is yet to be seen. I hope that it does well and we see more movies like this, but this was good. This was a very, very good, respectable, uh, maybe great romantic comedy when I look at um, when it's all said and done. Heather, what about you? So the first thing I do want to say is I saw an interview with... um, Billy Eichner and Luke McFarland about this movie when they were basically talking about how they grew up watching these rom-coms with people falling in love. And it was just cool to see them fall in love along with them. Right. And the other one of them was saying like, it's just a nice feeling to know that this movie is, you know, from the perspective of two men and maybe you know, straight people can fall in love along with these two men. And I thought that was a really cool perspective and a really cool way to describe what this movie is and why this movie was made. And I really appreciated that. And it made me respect this movie a lot. You know, um, uh, that being said, though, I, I think I do have to slightly disagree with Jastin on this one a little bit because I do feel like it does have obviously a lot of, um, you know, progressive and more modern takes on things. But the way it's filmed and the way the story progresses, it still feels like a very like early 2000s rom-com to me. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with 2000 rom-coms. I love most of them. But 
I think it just surprised me. I think I just expected it to be a little bit more like taking different turns and not following all the tropes. And maybe the point was to follow the tropes because they wanted this movie to be that. Um, But I think just because it felt a little bit too by the numbers with such like older rom-coms that we've seen a million times that I really just thought they were going to do something a little bit different with how the story played out, if that makes sense. So it's not a bad movie. It definitely is funny. It has some really funny moments in it. And um, actually my favorite parts of this movie are the moments when Billy Eichner's character is being vulnerable and serious because I've never seen that side of him in anything else I've seen him in. Um, And he was really good at that. He was really good at playing those vulnerable parts of himself. And you can just tell it was coming from a very real place, you know, and I thought it was great. Um, But overall, I just, I feel like there was something just not quite equal about the two leads as far as like how well you get to know them. Um, I just feel like Billy Eichner, you just, you just see a lot more from his perspective on some things. Um, but I don't know. I just, I feel like it was, it's not that they didn't have chemistry because I think they had chemistry, but I just feel like the way, I don't know, the way the story unfolded was a little bit, um, one-sided in a way. And, um, that is probably my issue with the movie more than anything else. But again, like it has some really great and very endearing moments, you know, and um, just seeing the the passions of these characters and just how very different these characters are was really funny because that's kind of the way it goes with a lot of rom-coms. Um, so that was really interesting to see how that played out. But um, I don't know, it was it was fine. It was it was a funny movie. And I'm really glad that it was made because of why they talked about making it. And they did some things right with it. But to me, it actually, as far as storyline goes, it doesn't really stand out to me more than a lot of other storylines, if that makes sense. Um, but it was still good. It was enjoyable. Like, I I love a good rom-com. And this is one that, I mean, I wouldn't not watch it again. You know, it's it's a good one. It's funny. I don't know if I would put it as one of my favorites or anything like that. But I think it's just more of, I don't know, something with how, not how they paced the story, but there, it's something about how they, they told the story where you just, it felt a little bit um, too, I don't know, too old school rom-com, but also like you're not getting to see, you're not getting to see the two leads um, fully, I guess. You know, you're, you're getting to see one more than the other. And I feel like that's um, that you're not really rooting necessarily for Luke McFarland's character as much because you don't really he he, I don't know. He kind of feels more like a supporting character, in my opinion, um, than he does a lead just because of how the story progresses. You know, Um, if they had changed that a little bit. I think that it could have been a little bit more endearing than it was. And it was already endearing, but I don't know. I'm, I'm like, it definitely leaned more towards, I like it than I didn't, but it wasn't something I wanted to like it more than I did. I think the jokes were mostly funny, but there was a point in the movie when 
I feel like it suffered from the thing that Thor Love and Thunder did, where it was trying to do too many jokes in a row at a time. <laughs> and they didn't all quite land because they were trying to do too many at a time. Um, but when they did land, they really landed. And it was very funny. Um, I think that the two leads chemistry with the supporting characters was a little bit more interesting than their chemistry with each other at moments. But overall, it was a pretty enjoyable rom-com. So. I'm weirdly kind of in the middle of you two. Because when I came out of this movie, I was very close to Justin. Like when I watched it, when I came out of the theater, I was very close to Justin. And then the more I thought about it, I started leaning a little bit more toward Heather's sense, where it is to me a little too one-sided. The movie is more about Billy Eichner's character than it is McFarland's character. It doesn't do like most rom-coms do, where you split it 50-50, where they both really feel like mains, where you truly get like a big part of the story from both sides. I think it sticks with Billy a little too much. And we just get glimpses at, uh, it was his name, Aaron, the, the character Aaron, right? Yeah. So we, yeah. we get glimpses of Aaron's life and we get glimpses of some of that stuff. But we don't really get that 50-50 split. And I think this movie suffers a little bit because of that. I disagree. Uh, where I disagree with a little bit with Heather with that. As I think when she says it harkens back to like early 2000s rom-coms, I disagree. I think you even go back further. To me, this kind of harkened back to like a 1960s rom-com. This to me felt a little bit more like Breakfast at Tiffany's than it does like a a Roman holiday or a uh, Sabrina. Where Breakfast at Tiffany's, you focus a little bit more on the Holly Golightly character. Than you do the the male love interest. And to me, this kind of feels a little bit like that. You focus more on, on Billy Eichner than you do the love interest. So it did to me, I, I agree, it was a little too one-sided. And in doing so, I think when it used some of the tropes that it used, it didn't quite work as well. Like when you get the best friend support scene, because they both have it which is a thing in rom-coms where, you know, the best friends of each person kind of give them those words of wisdom and they go off, you know, to do the right thing or whatever at that point. I feel like Billy Eichner's makes a lot of sense. I feel like McFarlane's character's one is kind of a little out of nowhere and is less earned because you get less time with him and you get even miraculously even less time with his support friend. So that kind of hurts it for me. And uh, the ending was just a little bit too, too corny for me. Just did not quite fit. Felt a little jarring. I get what they were trying to hearken back to with that. I get what they were trying to fulfill with that. Felt a little out of place to me. Because of how... Because of what they tie that into with the rest of it, you know. So, 
But then at the same time, I mean, I'm kind of still there with you, though, Justin. I think it had great jokes. I think this movie really succeeded on the comedy side of a romantic comedy. I, at times, appreciated some of the tropes showing that there's similarities in, 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 in relationships and stuff like that. Then at the same time, I liked it when they bucked some of the tropes because those may not apply to certain aspects of LGBTQ, you know, plus relationships. So I liked that they kind of bucked some of those things. I, it was kind of unfortunate that a lot of the joke scenes were also in the trailer, but I did appreciate that this movie also did a really good job of when the jokes from the trailer showed up, they hit a little better than a lot of other comedies would in those instances because you got the full context and you got some of the ancillary joke setup stuff and, and, and after joke parts that add to the joke itself. And there were some really great Ronald Reagan jokes. And you know, my ass is going to love jokes at Ronald Reagan's expense. So I really appreciated the fuck out of those. Loved it. That's true. You know, and then and then at times like it had really good, just really good moments. I, I agree with you, Heather. That scene where Billy Eckner's character is bearing his soul. Super, super great scene. Really loved it. So I'm like, I'm weirdly torn with this movie. Really liked it. Really had some problems with it. But I really liked it. But I really had some problems with it. I'm I'm just kind of going back and forth internally with that. And we are recording later in the week than we typically do. And I don't know if maybe that hurts a little bit. Because I sat on this one a lot and thought about it a lot, you know, and so I'm going back and forth. I mean, I will say this, either version of it, still pretty good though. Still liked it, you know, even with my problems with it, even with those things, it's still a pretty good movie in the end. I just, I'm a little bit further away, though, than you were, Justin, when you were like, could it be one of the greats, though? Dude, if we recorded this, like, a day or two after I watched it, I would be like, hell yeah, it is. I'm I'm not quite there anymore. But I'll say it, it was still really good, though. Still really good. So... No, no. I think this would, I mean, that's the thing is rom-coms are, are few and far between now in theaters. I don't feel like we get as many rom-coms in theaters as we used to. I think rom-coms just kind of go to, to streaming, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think because the last really great rom-com to me was marry me. 
like personally to me, that was the last great rom-com I saw. I love that one. And I don't think this is marry me. I don't think it's quite there. And I think it's because of the, the one-sidedness of it a little bit. I don't know. Recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, go. Um, I mean, I do recommend it. Like, it, it is still a good movie. It's just for me, again, it's not great and it does, it's a fine rom-com. It, it's kind of up there with the same level as most other rom-coms. I really appreciate the fact that this movie was made, um, I, I think it's it's awesome, and I think that it's it's great. The concept of it, the reasoning for it uh, that we heard, love it. I think that's great. Um, the writing of the jokes, for the most part, is really good too. And um, Billy Eichner, for the majority of this movie, is very good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. Sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's fun. It is entertaining. It's one that I could see myself watching again, you know, and just being like, oh, this is a funny rom-com. Cause I do that occasionally. I'll just say I'm in the mood for a rom-com. I'd put this on. Sure. Um, but yeah, again, it just felt like, I don't know. There was just some kind of like disconnect for me, I think with just the two, um, the two leads. Yeah. Just being a little bit one sided with the storytelling, because I think the way that you said it, Sterling is really accurate because it really, it usually, yeah. In those rom-coms, you get like a 50, 50 split of what's going on in this person's life. What's the stuff that they're dealing with in their mind or their family or whatever it may be. And while we do get glimpses of that from um, Aaron's character, it's so it's so much less than what we get from like the arc and growth of Billy Eichner's character in this movie. And maybe that is what it is. And I wasn't really understanding necessarily why I felt that way I did, but I think that's what it is. Like, it's just typically there is that 50 50 split with the two leads and this one, it does feel a little bit more like it's from Billy Eichner's perspective than it is from both of their perspectives. So, um, but no, I, I, I also agree a little bit about they, they did a lot of the big jokes in um, the trailer, but again, they're funnier in the actual movie. And that's not normal for a lot of trailers that give stuff away in movies. Normally it's like, okay, I know what's coming and whatever, but it actually, it didn't take away from the funny in the moment in the movies. So I give it that. Um. Yeah, sure. It's 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 a decent movie. Yeah, I would say definitely check it out. Um I'm going to give this I'm going to give it 70 um not sure what to say in a text message so just saying hardly anything out of 100. Uh Justin, what about you? Cool. Um I I'm definitely going to recommend it. Um I think I'm going to stay on the hill that I started on. Um, I hear what you guys said, but the things that y'all are talking about just in the moment weren't really problems for me. I thought I saw enough 
of both characters. Um, I didn't feel like I needed more of one perspective or the other. I thought that what they did and what they had, it wound up being enough for me. Um, and I don't think in, and, and, and I've seen romantic comedies before where it's not a 50, 50 split. So I don't know if that is a must for a romantic comedy to be the one of the better ones or the greatest one or any of that stuff. I mean, maybe, but for me, I think it just depends on how the story is depicted and how it's told. And I thought that this was well executed. And I thought that Billy Eichner, his character, it, it, it felt like he was the main character, but it felt like it was by design. It didn't feel like a mistake that he was the main character or that he was more quote unquote interesting or kind of had the more um, integral life than the, um, than the love interest. So I don't know, this worked for me. I I don't feel like I have the same complaints. Um, But again, I thought that it was smart. It was well-written. I thought the jokes were good. I would put this over marry me. I think this is a little smarter than marry me. I, I liked, I think it's, a little more impactful than that. I think it's got a little more significance than marry me. So I think, um, I still feel that it is one of the better romantic comedies. Now, is it one of the greatest of all time? I I mean, who knows, but maybe right there along, like if you have a top 10, this might get into the, make the top 20. Might. I mean, I, I I don't have a list in front of me, but I feel like if I listed my 20 favorites, it'll be somewhere in there. You know, I feel like that's fair enough to say. Um, um, the only thing I regret is just not um having somebody on here from the LGBTQ plus community to hear what they had to say about it. You know, I, I wonder how authentic that they feel it was. I wonder if it worked for that community, being that this is more of a story from that perspective. It'd be nice to hear them and what they thought of the the love story and did they find it believable? Did they feel like it was a good representation of them? So I regret that we don't have a person to say that. So, um, but But maybe when the episode comes out, I'll do a feeler and kind of see what people from that side of it are saying as well. But I think, but, but whether you're of that community or not, um, I I think it was very well done. I think it is a good romantic comedy and what you said that they, Billy Eichner and them were talking about in the interview. I think I was one of those people. I was a straight guy that, that was intrigued by this. And I, thought that at the end, when they got together, I thought that the journey justified where the characters were at the end. So, yeah, I would recommend it. I hope more people go see it. I hope that, um, I know that the the its box office opening hasn't been strong, but I hope that this is one of those that lives on and like through streaming and stuff like that. It's just one that people constantly remember and talk about. And hopefully it just has... Um, 
it's weird to say shelf life because it's not like we go to rental stores and there's a shelf or anything like that anymore, but it feels like the right term. I hope that it has a longer shelf life than even what it has at the box office. And I hope it does become one of those like memorable kind of romantic comedies from a different perspective that people remember. So, so like the Shawshank it. of rom-coms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Pretty that. Much. You know what I'm saying? I hope that that's the film's legacy. And I hope we see more movies like this because uh, God knows we need them, you know, because um, not only straight relationships exist in the world. So with that being said, I'm going to go 85. We'll go. Oh, man, I had I had a thing and then I forgot what it was going to be. I had a good one for this. And I, 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 I remember the scene and I was like, I'm going to say that. And I and I blanked on it. I talked too long. <laughs> we'll just go with 85. Hell yeah, there should be more movies like this. It was very refreshing to see a movie told from this perspective, a romantic comedy out of 100. We'll go with that. That's all fair, Justin. I don't necessarily disagree with much that you said. Because uh, like I said, coming out of it, I really did feel that same way. And I kind of blame TikTok <laughs> for attack, like for, for me changing on it. Because I watched this this one lady and I really wish I had her TikTok handle handy. But she was talking about that. Like she's the one that talked about how it felt one-sided. So then I just started playing the movie in my head. And I agree, Jason, not all romantic comedies have to or do or any of that. I just tend to feel like the better ones do. Like it kind of bothers me like when I look back on it that we saw nothing of Aaron's life up until that scene in the club. You know, so like in, in things like that, like I feel like we only cut back to him if his scenes were mimicking Billy Eichner's. I don't feel like we cut back when he was just doing something on his own or unrelated to that. And that kind of is what detracts me from it a little bit. It just makes me feel like I'm missing a little bit from the over arc of the love story for the, for the whole thing. And maybe it's because more modern rom-coms and stuff like that tend to fall under the two lead model. And maybe that's just what I've come become accustomed to. You know, maybe that's just kind of where I'm at, where I'm just, I'm so used to that when I don't get it, it feels a little off. But I also, like I said, I can't deny that when I first watched the movie and I came out of it, I was like, fuck, that was great. So that, and that does matter, you know? So I'm going to get my score directly between you two. Cause I do, I do recommend this movie and I do agree with Justin. I, I wish more people saw this. I wish that this movie does gain some steam. I wish that even if, even if you're, you don't feel like this movie's enough. Like, say you're from the LGBT uh, 
plus community. And you just don't feel like this movie did enough for that stuff. I, that's completely valid. I don't know, but maybe if this, that, you know, this being something can lead to a movie that does have enough because this opened the door, you know, and then that'd be great. So, oh, and plus this, I, 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 plus this movie was really funny. I really thought this movie was really funny. So, I'll go directly between you two, which should be 77 and a half. But, I'll round up a little bit closer to Justin's side. Because I do, I, I, I still, I still have that sentiment in me. That I really liked it. So I'll give it a 78. Ronald Reagan ghost terrorizing people on a trauma roller coaster in a museum <laughs> out of 100. That was pretty great. So, with all that, <laughs> so we have 77.5. Sorry, I should have done this while we were typing or while we were talking, and I just didn't. And I'm garbage for that. I'm sorry. And I'm trying <laughs> to put shit in my calculator as fast as I can. So I'm not completely rambling. That weirdly puts this movie with an official Cinescore. Which, how the fuck was that not a thing? Cinescore is not a thing. It's, well, it's not a thing thing. It's software that Sony makes to help you develop soundtracks. But Cinescore is not okay. Like, Cinescore, as far as a rating system as being a, a score, is not a thing. How the fuck yeah, is that not weird. a thing? Cinema score is, but Cinescore is not. So we officially have Cinescores in the end here, and it's a seventy-eight. Cool. The official Cinescore of this movie, seventy-eight. Cool. Spoilers? Yeah. Yes. Spoilers. I don't know what I was going to say. I, uh, fuck. I think I just had a Jastin moment when he was talking about his score thing. There was a scene I really wanted to talk about right at the beginning of this. And then we get to it. Probably because I rambled a little bit too much trying to type in scores into a calculator. I don't fucking remember what scene I wanted to talk about. Son. Was it the, the trauma roller coaster? I did love that idea. <laughs> I love that they put that in a museum. Yeah. Oh, the, the end. That fucking country song. I really had issues with that. I, did, I just, I felt really out of place to me. Not necessarily the fact that it was a country song. Not even the fact that Billy Eichner's character wrote a country song for the love interest. It's the fact that he thought maybe he was going to sing it at the opening of the LBGT uh, Q Plus History Museum. Like he was like, he wrote the song was like, it's for this guy, but I'm also going to sing it there. But no, I'm not going to do it. Oh, no, he's here now. I'm going to sing it. 
why would he want to sing that song at that opening? In general. Like, I get it's supposed to be the grand gesture scene. But it was so out of place at a museum opening. So that really bothered me. But the song was, I mean, the song was okay. I don't think it's the song itself. Just thought it was a weird thing at the at a museum opening. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I do feel like we needed more Aaron though, because like I said, we get nothing from his life before the club scene. I liked him being mysterious, and then, and then later in the movie, I wanted more of him too, but like. I do feel like we focused on Billy a little too much. Like, you know, when, you know, Billy's having that scene where he's talking to his best friend and Aaron's talking to his brother. The Aaron talking to his brother's side was a little bit weaker to me because the brother characters in the movie for like 10 whole fucking seconds before this, like he's not really in it. He says like two things, the whole movie. And now he's gotten this grand dialogue scene going on with his brother. Felt a little unearned to me. You want the voice of reason character, and especially in rom-coms, the voice of reason typically are the best friends or side characters, whatever. You want them to be around more. You want you want them to be kind of setting up that moment throughout the movie. Or or you at least want it to become a surprise. Like I, I do like it sometimes in a movie where you've got the the best friend character or whatever, kind of saying the wrong thing the whole movie, and then at that moment they say the right thing. Well, this guy just wasn't saying a damn thing the whole movie. And then all of a sudden he's got romantic epiphanies just coming out of him. <laughs> should have been the hockey player. Honestly, I think it should have been the hockey player. I kind of agree with that. Like, it, yeah, that like really they're good. in the middle of maybe hooking up or even hanging out or something. And then he's just kind of discussing his vulnerabilities with him. Uh, I think that would have been kind of a cool moment where he's like, you know, being the the voice of wisdom for him as like the guy that he used to revere above everybody else. And he's the one giving him this advice. I think that would have been kind of cool. I also did really like their orgy scene. I thought that was super funny. (laughs) <laughs> when you had the yeah that was great just that one guy just trying to get in the middle of everything oh that's fucking hilarious <laughs> like hey guys <laughs> really that was, was pretty um, funny to comment quickly though on what you were talking about with him and um with Aaron and his brother I guess I more or less bought that because guys can be like that like especially family members. I guess that's why it was more believable in the moment because they were both kind of like, well, you haven't talked to, you haven't said anything about your divorce or anything like that. And he was like, well, you haven't told me about this um, breakup you had with Billy Eichner and everything. And that's believable. Like guys do that where they don't like you won't, hear from your friend or your family members about something personal like that for a while. And then, you know, it has to be the right time moment to open up and stuff like that. So I guess I was a little more okay with it than uh, because it felt 
believable in the moment. It felt like something two brothers might not talk about or not want to talk about or not be vulnerable or whatever the case is, but then finally get that moment to kind of communicate with each other and open up. So it felt like kind of a believable thing. And it wasn't contrived like, oh, well, I'm not talking to you because you're straight and I'm gay. Or it wasn't any of those like contrivial excuses for why they wouldn't talk to each other. It just felt like they had a pretty good relationship, but this was something that neither one of them was, was both of them were kind of withholding and sort of opened up in a moment that they were together. So I kind of bought it for that reason. And his epiphany, him telling him, why don't you go to, you know, especially him just hearing about it. You know, I think it'd be different if this character was along for the ride. But being that he just heard about this and just kind of heard, you know, about what happened with the breakup and how he felt and everything, him going, well, why don't you go over there and tell him how you feel? Just felt like just something a good brother would say. It didn't feel like, oh, it needed to be this big epiphany thing. It just felt like he's being supportive in the moment. So I don't know. I guess I brought it more because of those things. I didn't see it as this underdeveloped character saying this key thing in the moment. I just, it just felt like a brother hearing about this and seeing his, his brother sad going, Hey man, why don't you get over there and handle your shit? Just felt real to me. That's fair, Justin. Um, because maybe I am a little too indignant, uh, like, In the rom-com culture, not used to that type of male relationship. Because Mm. in most rom-coms, when you look back on it, they always end up having a friend of the opposite sex, like the male character. It can be like the manly male and have all his bro friends, but then there's like his sister or a woman that's a friend or it's like his best friend's wife or something or somebody like that, that points out that is the voice of reason character. You know, you're actually, actually I like, I, I really am like connecting with what you said because that's very true. They don't really have essentially two bro characters typically having that moment outside of sometimes, like I said, the character that says the wrong thing, the whole movie like, it's like that terrible bro guy, and he's like, oh, whatever, man, just fuck her and leave. Yeah. And then, at the t- then at the end of the movie, he's like, man, if you really love her, that's the type, that's like, that's the type of stuff you got to really hold on to when you find yeah. that special woman. And then, like, out of nowhere, they say the right thing at the end of the movie. And then, yeah. And then they'll do a scene at the yep. end of the movie where he's still like, nah, just go fuck the girl, man. Like, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's actually a very fair assessment of it, Justin, that... Yeah. In that right. instance, that is the traditional male relationship or whatever. In a lot of instances, that in a way in modern times is a little bit more toxic. In a way, just for the sheer fact that that's, you know, the stereotype that you don't necessarily want men holding on to. But considering in the movie, it would track because they're like men in their early 40s. 
So, yeah. So they're not like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And I think that's why I guess it just felt because I've been here, I guess, with some friends and stuff like that. You don't hear shit from them from forever. And then it's just that time y'all were together and everything comes out, you know, it's that time that we would just happen to be over for the football game and something comes out, you know, um, my dad, like I, I, we watched the football game and, you know, mom left. So, you know, it was just me and my dad, you know, just two, the, 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 the two guys and the football game ended. We're sitting there talking about, yeah, yeah. Dallas won everything like that. And then he hit me with some personal stuff that was going on. And, you know, we just talked about it. And it's something that had been going on with him for months. Didn't hear shit about it. But, but you know, it was just, but for the some right reason, last weekend was the time. And I don't know, that felt just so incredibly real to me because, Guys be on that bullshit sometimes. You know, hey, you just won't hear from dude in for weeks. And then all of a sudden it's real heavy personal stuff. Dude. No, I, I mean I get that. I mean, with what you just said, especially really kind of connected with me because of like my relationship with my father. You know, my dad, I mean, for ninety percent of my life you could you could very easily say was emotionally distant and you can very easily say that uh only expressed more or less negative emotions you know and stuff like that and like all this other stuff and then like you know this would be probably i don't know probably about a year and a half ago or so he was up here uh, dealing with some stuff for uh, with his mom and stuff like that. And we were at my aunt's house and we're drinking. And I mean, we weren't drunk. It's not like we were having like drunk emotional moments, but you know, we're just sitting outside, you know, we're drinking, we're talking, you know, just, you know, that stuff. And, you know, he like, he weirdly gets like emotionally like vulnerable with me for a part of it and stuff like that. And, you know, it was like asking me like, those types of like emotionally like emotional depth questions and stuff like that was talking about how, you know, how he really just kind of wants me to be happy because of, you know, like what's going on with me and my marriage and, you know, it ending and stuff like that. And, you know, and asking like more in-depth things about, you know, why it was ending and, you know, and all these other things. I mean, he it even got to the point where he was like, you know, maybe you really should just get, like go see some counseling and stuff like that. Like, and, and I was like, fuck my dad is suggesting therapy like holy fuck like that used to be a bad word because i was a guy you know yeah like that type of thing like admitting that you might need emotional help was something we did not talk about in my household growing up at least with me like my sisters got that of course because i you know but like emotional help with like me as like the sun and all this stuff. No, that was never, that could never be the issue. I just need to toughen up, you know, and stuff like that. So I really kind of get with what you're, you're, you're stressing with that, Justin. Like, cause those moments, like yeah. you said, it can just fucking come out of nowhere. Cause I think like 10 minutes before that part of it, 
we were fucking arguing about politics. <laughs> See, yeah, and then it fucking it's just comes so out of nowhere like that. Yeah, it's so random like that. It's just that guys, and I'm not saying this is all guys. I'm not trying to be stereotypical in that way, but guys just communicate differently, man. It's just not, we just don't do it the same. And I'm glad that they had a gay person in this film that wasn't just, like, because I think that a bad stereotype about gay people is that they, 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 they quote unquote act like women or have female tendencies or do the, or, or communicate this way. You know, there are a lot of just terrible gay stereotypes, but it was nice. It was, it was nice to see a gay guy who just was for all sense and purposes, a guy, you know, he, he was gay, but you know, he's just a guy, man. He, he, that, that's how he was. You know, he worked out, he had a job, didn't really like it, had some hopes and dreams, but really didn't believe in himself. And, you know, he had a relationship with his brother. Like I said, his relationship with the brother wasn't all about that bullshit, but it's just that they're older guys. They got jobs. His brother has a family. I mean, you know, and then Aaron's busy over here doing this and doing that. It felt so believable that they would be playing Mortal Kombat, of all things, and just some shit came out. Dude, that was, I totally freaking felt that. Like, I, I totally felt it. But, you know, I'll digress with the point. But, yeah, to me, that was just like, Hell yeah, dude. This is the way it happens. This is totally. I mean, I do feel I do feel like it's funny how sometimes it's like the person that you least expect to give you the advice you need is that person that you're just like, you don't really talk to that much or don't necessarily have the best relationship with. Sometimes you're just like, oh, most of the time I just kind of roll my eyes at what you want to say about anything. But then there's just like that one moment always like that happens with me and my mom, like where I'm just like you just said something really valuable to me right now in a moment I needed it. And I just didn't expect it. You know, it comes like right in the moment you need it. So yeah, it kind of felt like that with his brother where it it was just like right in that moment that he needed him to be that support for him is when he came through with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that person just, sometimes you just get the best advice from somebody that you least expect, or maybe it's just the right person at the right time. Maybe if his brother wasn't there, he would have thought twice about it and not went to the museum opening. But his brother was there and said, hey, man, why don't you just go? And he didn't fight him about it. He said, all right, cool. Let me go over there. And it was the stereotypical got to go find my lover so we can finally be immediately back in love again and have the happy ending scene. It was totally that that we've seen a million times. But it was but but the way we got there was believable as shit. And I'm not saying that women don't do this too. I'm not I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, this is a guy thing and women just spill their guts out to each other or tell everybody everything and they 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 just talk it up, talk it up, talk it up. That's a terrible stereotype too. All I can really say is I know that I have definitely experienced what I saw, you know. So it just felt real to real to me in that moment. Well, I mean, one thing you can say with this movie that 
at least from my perspective, would be one of the positive things about this movie is it shows that there's not anything that you can really like use to describe somebody in a definitive manner. Like, especially when it comes to like, say men, you know, you can't describe or say that only gay men act this way or only straight men act this way and all this other stuff. It showed that within men themselves and within subcultures and, 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 and demographics and all kinds of things that that definition can be different. You know, there's not any clear one thing that defines anything. Like you said, Justin, the big stereotype that, that gay men tend to be effeminate and all this other stuff. When you, you know, this movie showed that then there's also, there are those bro ones, you know, and stuff like that. Like it showed yeah. that there are complexities in it. And by writing people off, like, and that's one of the big points in the movie. Billy Eichner's character believes that the Aaron character cannot love him because he is a bro type of guy. Yeah. And so obviously he would like bros and couldn't understand why he would love like, like him, you know, and things like that. I like, I really appreciated, like, I'm not gonna lie. There were like Relatable. lots of aspects yeah. of uh Billy Eichner's character that I really connected with. And this is what I was going to start with. So, so I'm fucking glad I finally remembered what it was. I really connected with him at a lot of times because growing up, my family kind of treated me the same way they treated him. You know, with the whole, you know, you need to tone it down. You need to act this way. You need to be this type of person. I don't really fit into that stuff. You know, it wasn't for the same reasons as him, but... I mean, when you take me as a person and compare me to the rest of my family or compare me to a lot of the community I grew up in and then compare me to the greater community as a whole, you know, growing up in like I grew up in lower middle class, you know, bumfuck nowhere, Texas. Shouldn't say that. I mean, we weren't like a little town, but you know, whatever. But like you grow up in that, like there's that whole community and then it's like, there's the white Baptist Christian community, like subset within that, that my family was kind of a part of, you know? And so like all these like levels and things and like, I don't really fit into a lot of that stuff. You know, I might not be gay or anything like that, but a lot of gender norms haven't always fit me. I have, I've always had like, well, when I was younger, I had kind of an affinity to paint my nails. I really liked having my nails painted until, you know, I would get in trouble for not being a boy, and, you know, because mm. we don't have our nails painted. And because that, that was the stereotype, that's a, that's a woman thing. Therefore, that would signal to people that I might be I might be gay. And that would be a terrible thing, I guess. You know, like that that's how they treated everything like that. And it, it wasn't even necessarily that I had like gay tendencies or anything like that. It's just, I guess I've kind of always leaned towards non-conforming sometimes with gender roles. Like I fucking love wearing skirts. I think it's fantastic. Skirts are fucking great. I've worn heels on occasions. I, I don't really have problems with that either. Like, you know, like there's things like that. Like I don't necessarily feel like clothes are gender defined. You know, like things like that. Like, I think that there's fluidity in all that stuff. 
And I'm not, I'm not even trying to say that I'm gender fluid. I'm just saying, I don't think clothes are like gendered really, you know, like, and, and I don't think that there's things that I think there are things that can apply to both, but just have stereotypical or societally defined roles. I've never really mm-hmm. agreed with that, you know, and you know, my family didn't, didn't understand that. My family didn't understand my inability to share the religious faith that they did, you know? So I hide that, hide those aspects of my personality, hide these aspects of the personality. You know, it was constantly like hide things because you don't want other people to think our family's okay with things and stuff like that. You know, like it's so I, I very much connected with that aspect of his character, you know, and I, and I understand how later in life, especially when you have come more to terms with that stuff and you're okay with it now, when you still have people that you've expressed that to, then, then come back to them. You know, I, I understand how that can make you feel mm-hmm. like being able to express myself emotionally was very hard growing up. And then you, you add on massive amounts of childhood trauma and all this other stuff and then reconciling with that. And then you get to a point to where you then try to emotionally open up with somebody and really try to like show them aspects of yourself that you haven't really shown other people. And you're trying to do so so that you could get a closer personal bond with them. And then they don't necessarily react the way you want them to kind of like is really emotionally devastating. So like, I get that. Cause that's kind of what Billy Eckner's character went through in part of this movie, you know, and stuff like that. Like, and I get it too. Cause like it, whenever it comes to Aaron's character, I really kind of connected with that too, because like he's an adult at a certain point, it's like, it's his life. Why should he really fucking care what some of these other people like put on him with that stuff? And he still can't get out of his own way through parts of it. You know, as much as I love having my nails painted and I've got my own fucking manicure kit with a gel curing light and all kinds of shit. I don't always have my nails painted because I sometimes have to get out of my own head with it at this point. As much as I like having it done, I have to get out of my own head sometimes. Like, sometimes I still think, like, oh, I shouldn't do this because my boss will probably be in the office more this week. I don't, I really shouldn't care. My boss has seen me with painted nails before, you know? But, like, you know what I mean? I get in my own head with it. And it's hard to get out of it, you know? And so, like, I get that stuff. And so I, I, I got that from his side, too. You know, talking about how he always wanted to be a chocolatier. You know, and he hates his job and all this other stuff. And, you know, when Billy Hector's like, well, I mean, just go be a chocolatier now. Why does it like what's stopping you now? Like there, you know what I mean? Like the only thing standing in your way at this point is you. And, you know, him having to reconcile with that, like I really connected with that, too, you know. So like on that level. Yeah, I really connected with a lot of the aspects and personal things with this movie. And I think that that's why I kind of wanted more Aaron. I wanted to see 
his life before Billy Eichner and living that life and then also see him reconciling things and, and getting more like getting to see more of him getting out of his own way. I wanted to see more of that because we kind of just get him sitting there going, I'm going to do it. And then he just does it. I want to see that journey with, I want to see that little bit of journey on that side of it. So that's why the one-sidedness ended up really kind of hitting me a little bit more. Cause like, I wanted to see more of that journey that I also connect with. I feel like I got shortened on that journey. On, on, with the aspects of that character that I really resonated with. So I think that that's why the lack of the, the, the duality in this movie really kind of ultimately ended up souring me a little bit. You know, not a lot. I mean, I still think I gave it a good st- a score, but you know what I mean? I, th- I think that that's where I'm not sitting as high as you, Jastern, or even a little higher. I feel a little bit shortchanged on that side. One of you guys talk now. I feel like I just went for a very fucking long time. So I want somebody else to talk. (laughs) I mean... And I do actually get what you're saying, and it almost makes me think, you know what, maybe this movie's a little bit deeper than than I initially thought. I think if there was one thing or one scene that I would have really liked to have changed up a little bit is the scene when they're on the beach and the scene that Billy Eichner is opening up and he's having this like real heart to heart with Aaron. Um and it's so great. It's it's truly probably my favorite moment of the movie. Um, but then, uh, Aaron just kind of goes, Hmm, do you want to be here? Like, <laughs> and which is fine because in, for him, like it's his personality to do that. You know what I mean? But I think I'm just so used to it. Maybe it is because of my conditioned rom-com ideas that he's going to be vulnerable with him and be like, you know what? I understand. Here's what's going on with me. And I think I expected that in that moment and I didn't get it. And maybe that's partially, you know, and that that could be on me. Like, maybe that's something I shouldn't just be expecting. But I just would have liked to have seen it because Aaron ended up being like a, a really good character. It's just you don't. He's just kind of revealed so slowly at a time, I feel like, in this movie. And I wish they would have shown a little bit more of him up front, kind of like what Sterling said. Although I do think that that <laughs> the scene when they're in the club and they meet for the first time and he just keeps disappearing. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was like funny every time like Billy turned around and he's like, where did this guy go? That was hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, I just yeah. And maybe I don't know. I think for me, a lot of reasons why I like rom-coms is because there is typically a character that I feel like I see myself in and I guess like just even just with the personalities or necessarily what these particular characters are going through I it wasn't something that I specifically mostly related to like even you guys talking about how that's kind of how guys are and the relationships that guys have with each other and their communication like I don't relate to that as much as you guys obviously because I'm not a guy but it's not that I don't appreciate it it's just I think for me Maybe the disconnect is that like 
I didn't, I didn't really relate to the specific story or personalities of anybody specific in this one. Maybe that's why for me, I was like, yeah, it's fine. But it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I loved it. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. I loved it. I cried. I whatever. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why I'm not like, because it was a fine movie, you know, but, but I do think, yeah, like the one-sidedness kind of is a big part of it. And yeah. And just maybe for me specifically, like the storylines are, it's not that they're bad storylines. It's just that I'm kind of looking on the outside of any of the characters where I'm just like, oh, that sucks that you're like dealing with that. Like, but it's not, I didn't like empathize necessarily with a specific situation in this rom-com. And maybe that's why for me, I was like, yeah, it's fine. But I wasn't um, moved by it the way that I have been with other rom-coms, if that makes sense. Um, which is not to say that you you don't necessarily have to relate to a character to like a rom-com. Because like I said, I like this movie. It's just not one that I'm like, it emotionally spoke to me more than any other one. You know what I mean? But um, I, I actually really did like that scene with the brother, with Aaron and his brother, <laughs> because I think it was just, it was kind of unexpected. Um, and then I just love that. It's like, you see the start of it where they're like, we don't talk about this stuff. Like this isn't normal for us. And then you kind of see a little bit later how they have talked about it a little bit. And then, by the end of it, they're just like rooting for each other. And like, I love when he he's going to do his whole like typical, I got to go find the person right now in this very moment instead of like waiting to talk to them later. He's like, I got to run out and get him right now. But he like goes back and he hugs his brother, you know, and I just thought that was a really sweet moment. And I really did like that aspect of it, because even though the brother wasn't really a big character before that time, like. I thought that that was a really sweet moment that probably showed a little bit more growth in Aaron's character than most other moments in the movie, you know, or at least the start of his growth in the movie. Um, and I think, I don't know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I love Billy Eichner. I think he's hilarious, but he, I don't know how to say this in a better way than like, I feel like with the one-sidedness, I think the reason it was more noticeable for me is because I don't know that I would say that Billy Eichner is charming enough to pull off being that big of the lead for the sides. Like he's very endearing in moments and he is charming in moments, but like I'm thinking about like rom-com leads and just like how much charm they ooze and things like that. And I don't know, Billy Eichner is super funny to me, but his energy level and just, he's always at this, level 10 right with everything and and that shows in his character and that's a big part of his character is he's very passionate about everything which is an awesome characteristic of him but I feel like I don't know like again it a lot of these ideas are probably just my conditioned feelings of what I think should be how rom-coms are you know and that's not necessarily right but it's just kind of in my head, I just, I don't know. I just feel like he's, he wasn't quite charming enough for me to be okay with him being like the only, instead of it 50-50 split, it's mostly him. 
Not that I didn't like him and his story, but when it's a rom-com lead situation, I feel like charm is like such a main characteristic of a rom-com lead. Right. And I just feel like he didn't have quite that much. He had the humor and he had like the, um, the, he engages you and he grips your attention with who he is. But I don't know if it's like the, the charm aspect was not necessarily what I saw in him in this role. Um, so maybe that's what it was. And it's just funny to think about this movie because a lot of these things really are just like basing it off of what I expect rom-coms to be. And that's probably the complete opposite of what they wanted. <laughs> like they're probably like, we don't want you to, you know, we want you to see something differently than what you have seen it before. That's like a huge part of what this movie is. But I also feel like while they were doing that, they're also saying, yeah, we want you to see what it's like to to see two, two gay people falling in love. It still is very much something that wanted to be a basic rom-com. So I think that's why I have such a weird conflict of like, I liked the movie, but if they are going for it being this typical rom-com, there are a couple of things that they didn't do that I expected. And then also the things they did do, I feel like were too like old school rom-com. So I don't know. It's this weird like mix of things. But the more that you guys are talking about the depth of some of these characters and maybe their actions that I didn't see upon a first watch. I don't know. Maybe maybe my score would change a little bit. But yeah, that's that's just kind of for me, the things that kept me from being like, this is an excellent film. You know, it's a good film and it's funny for sure. It's entertaining. It's a cute film. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just not one that I'm like, you're looking for a great rom-com. Well, actually, I would recommend it, but not necessarily above any other great rom-com. You know, it's just it kind of fits right in there with them, which is great. And I agree. I think that we should have more rom-coms like this about, you know, non-straight couples because that is our world, you know. So um, but I don't know. I just feel like. For a rom-com, just a little bit more charm from the leads might have been a little bit more effective for me. Cool, cool. Um, where to begin? Um, I guess when I think about Billy Eichner's character and sort of how he compares to Aaron in this, um, I guess... It's interesting that you say, like, for me, I've I felt like I've kind of seen the character before, or at least a version of the character before. The real analytical, wordy kind of, you know, nerdish, very like forward thinking kind of character, kind of quirky, kind of a little eccentric. Um kind of character and then you know that character kind of finds somebody who's way different from them but it ultimately it winds up working and so I guess what I enjoyed about them was the contrast between them more than just the okay this is a gay person and the you know this is the kind of the the intellectual 
smart, activist. Like he's got a little bit higher status. He's got a popular podcast. So you have that gay person and then you have this other gay person. But what I loved about it was that he was more of a simple, his life was just, he was just more simple, man. Like his other Bobby or Billy Eichner's other friend said, oh, you know, he's boring. You know, Aaron, yeah, Aaron is, yeah, he's cool or whatever, but he's boring. So the movie kind of tells you, and I think what boring came to, became to be was just, he's just simple, man. You know, he wakes up, he's got a, a simple job. The the one regret he had was, you know, I didn't become a chocolatier. And there was nothing beyond that. It, it was just like, okay, you know, he wanted, and of course he was trying to find, um, and, and then we, we got a little bit more from him about like why he was afraid to commit and different things like that. But it just felt like he was just simpler, man, like a simpler life. His parents seemed a little more accepting of him and his lifestyle and his brother and his brother was his family was a little more accepting of him and who he was and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, a lot of his main concerns was I, I, I work out and, you know, I go to work, I work out and then I get off and I have a good time. He was just kind of that older adult bachelor. Um also gay, but it didn't feel like he had the same struggles as a gay man as Billy Eichner's character, Bobby. But I loved it because both of those types of gay people can exist. Just like both of the two same types of straight people or a man and a woman can have these completely different lives and it'd be okay. Or these two guys can have this different can be both straight, but have like completely different crazy lives. And it's okay. I love that they showed that, you know, the things that Billy Eichner's character struggled with, Aaron didn't have hardly any of the same struggles. Some, of course, they related with some things. And of course, you know, he understood and being a gay man, obviously there, there are things that they can relate to with each other, but it felt like his life and what he cared about and just how he saw himself was a lot different from Billy Eichner's character. And I like that. That's what made them feel so different. So I think you, maybe you felt like you got way more Billy Eichner but I think that was by design because he was so much more forthcoming and wordy and he's always talking and always talking and always talking. That's why I yeah. loved that beach scene because, you know, Bobby's character was always talking and always talking and always talking. Bobby just talks about everything and he lets it all out and he's trying to express himself because of all that time that he couldn't. And then Aaron's struggle is a little bit different, but that's not his struggle. So, of course, he was just like, he listened, he heard all that and went, okay, do you want a beer? You know, he didn't have to no. do that because that's not kind of who he is. So it made sense for him not to open up quite the same, being how he is just such a different person. And then later when he opens up with his brother, it made sense how that came about, given the kind of guy that he is. 
So I don't know. And I you are like, right. Be- oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. I was going to oh, say, I-, I think you're, you're right because like he, I guess in that moment, Bobby didn't really need him to necessarily try to fix whatever he was talking about. I think he did appreciate that. He was just like listening to him, listening to him talk about it and letting him vent about it. And I do understand that for sure. Like, I, I feel like I'm like that a lot where I'm like, I just uh, want to just vent about all of the crazy. You know what I mean? But um, so, yeah, I, I guess you are right about that. And um, that that makes sense because he's just and and I, I completely am on board and totally get the whole opposite personalities attract. Like, that's a very real thing. Totally. And and I, I didn't necessarily and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I just wanted to clarify it too, like that's not a problem that I had with this movie is their opposite personalities. But I think you explaining a little bit like he's just simple. That does make sense. You know what I mean? It's like, but I I feel like, for example, if we're going to kind of go back to what Sterling talked about with marry me, um, Owen Wilson's character was pretty boring. (laughs) If you think about it, he was not a very, impressive he had a very simple life he didn't even have social media he had nothing like that but I feel like because you got to see a little bit more of what his life was like outside of his relationship with Jennifer Lopez's character you just feel like he's more relatable you know what I mean he was very simple but he was also very relatable in that way because you got to see more of who he was in his everyday life you know what I mean and like Simple is totally fine. And you're right. I think that is the word that best defines Aaron. He's not boring because his, he has very specific interests and he's a very complex person and it's interesting, but he's simple. Simple is a very good word for who Aaron is. But, and maybe the, I feel like maybe that's what it was like no issues with the fact that they're very opposite types of people and personalities. But if you're going to show somebody who is more of a simple life, I just want to see more of what that simple life is for him. Like, why is he so simple? Why is he totally okay with this? Like, what does he do with his time if he is that simple? You know what I mean? So maybe that was more what I was looking for from it. And again, coming from a perspective of it just being, you know, a simple guy, like I, I'm not. (laughs) And so for me, I'm just like, I want to see all of the things and, you know, maybe it just wasn't, he didn't feel like that was needed, you know, and maybe Billy Eichner's character didn't feel like it was needed because I think that that moment on the beach really does define a lot of what their relationship was where he's like, I have a lot of these feelings. I want to talk about these feelings. Aaron is the guy that wants to listen to these things. And he even kind of said it in the club where he's like, no, I like really like skinny, wiry guys that can't shut up. Like, that's my type. You know, and he just kind of even said that up front to him. And yeah, so I, I just I actually do appreciate that they went with the whole opposites attract type of uh, thing with this storyline. So but yeah, I just wanted to add that. Well, and what you said about him listening, I think was definitely the point entirely like he was the listener. You know what I mean? And like in a, and in a and a lot of relationships I see. I feel like that does happen where you have one one part of the couple that's the talkative one and then you have the other one that is not as talkative but sits back, listens, 
kind of processes everything. And then when they do talk, they're not going to be long winded or talk a long time or anything like that. You know, they say what they have to say and they're just real kind of short with it. But by the end of the movie, that was sort of Aaron's journey. His life was real simple. We saw him at work and it really wasn't that interesting. But I feel like that was kind of by design because he, what he actually wanted to do, his dream job, he wasn't doing it. So when we saw him at work, it was just kind of like uh, he's fooling around or whatever, not very interested. And going to the gym and doing all of that. And obviously he was dedicated to his body and he's partying and stuff like that. So we saw those elements. But I think where the Bobby character challenged him was to be more expressive, you know, was to open up a little bit more and stuff like that. It was hard for him to even tell Bobby about being a chocolatier and stuff like that. He had a hard time just telling him that. You know what I mean? So I think that was the arc of that character. He wasn't as forthcoming. He wasn't as like, he may have not have had as interesting of a life or the same struggles that um, that Bobby had. But Bobby was at a, was a more was at a place where he was just like you know uh, this is who I am I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community this is who I am and I'm going to be outward with it and this is you know and I'm not going to hold back and everything like that. Aaron's struggle was holding back a little too much, withholding things a little too much. So I like the slow way in which we got bits and pieces of him because it felt very on point with his character. I don't know if, if it it feels like a scene where he's super expressive or going back and learning uh, uh, more about him than, you know, learning all this other stuff about him or how he got kind of became this sort of like, I'm manly on the outside, but I hold it in on the inside. Um, I, I don't know. I like, maybe that could have helped be more invested in him. Maybe it would have helped. I mean, I'm not saying y'all are wrong. I, I, would another scene have helped to understand why he was so like inward with some of that stuff and withholding with some of that stuff? Yeah. But I felt like there was enough there, I guess, to where I got it. Like, okay, this is his struggle. This is his problem. And by the end of that, when he's talking to Bobby and saying, you challenge me, you know, you challenge me to be a better person. I felt like that's what he was talking about. You know, I don't express myself like I need to all the time. I do hold back, you know, what I'm really feeling and what I really want to do and stuff like that. And that has worked for me. But along comes this person with this podcast and the status and who is always trying to talk about what he feels and always telling you how he feels and everything like that. And I think that's where Aaron sort of had to get, you know what I mean? And by the, and by the time we get to the end, he does get there, which is why he opens up to his brother in the first place. That step that he took telling Bobby about the being the chocolatier, that's a huge step for that character. Now it don't seem like it because he's nowhere near as interesting as Bobby but that was a big step for that character, you know, that that was huge for that character. So, 
I don't know. I'm not really arguing yeah, with fair. you, Heather. I don't feel like I am. I'm just sort of, I guess, explaining why I brought it, you know, why I felt like yeah. it delivered what I needed, I guess you could say. And that's fair. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's just kind of like, yeah, it's it's preference of things that you do and don't care about in like a rom-com and things like that. So, yeah, it no, it's totally fair. And what you're saying does make sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. That's fair. So, oh, but some other things to talk about just, um, oh, sorry, Sterling. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. That's exactly what I was going to ask. So yes. Talk about more. Um, um, the, the, the LGBTQ group, the, the museum, uh, um, what would you call them? The committee, um, his committee of friends for the museum and stuff like that, man, anytime there was a scene with all of them and Bobby, that was hilarity just ensued. I loved all of those characters. I loved all of those people. I thought that that was, um, really cool. And then when Deborah Messing would get in the mix with all of them and stuff like that, I just really enjoyed about that. all of those scenes, like all of those scenes I just thought were great, man. That round table of LGBTQ characters and just like all the different concerns and, and, and them talking about, well, how come they get a month and we only get a day? I, I just found all of that to be hilarious. I really was, was digging all of those characters. One complaint I had is I wish I had gotten more of those characters. They all seemed interesting. They all seemed fine. So anytime they were on screen, and maybe you don't want to oversaturate with those characters, but anytime they were on on screen, I just really found myself enjoying them. So if anything, maybe it would have been cool if some of them could have interacted with Aaron a little bit or something like that. I don't know. I just really enjoyed those characters. And just wanted more of them. If if I wanted more of anything, it was them. Because I love those scenes. That's fair, Justin. Like, they, I really like that. Because I also really liked seeing, uh, what's his name? Jim Rush. He played the bi, the, the bald bisexual guy. Um, yeah. Or is it Jeff Rush? Shit. Jim Rush. Yeah, Jim Rush. Yeah, he's from, because he, he, he played the Dean in Community. And I just, I, I really like seeing him in this role and playing like a more realized type of person and stuff like that. Cause his character, the Dean is a very caricature caricature. That still wasn't right, but I think people don't understand what I'm saying. Um, caricature. Yeah. Version of, of somebody like that. So I liked that he, was playing like a more realistic or more fulfilled or well-rounded version of that. And that's something closer to what, or who he re, uh, actually is and stuff like that. So I really appreciated that. Uh, and with that, fuck, you said something else. And I wanted to comment on it too. About the round table of people or about um, Aaron and all of it. I don't remember. It's it's gone. The thought's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> um, Bowen Yang uh, was pretty great in this too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and is there actually an LGBTQ museum? 
I'm sure there's a museum, but there, whether or not it's like a fulfilled history museum, I don't know. Because I think, I, I don't know if that exists or not, but that's a badass idea. And I would yeah. so go to that museum, like to find out about people throughout history and different things like that. Dude, I, I was like, this is a, why doesn't this actually exist? Well, I, well, I guess I know why, but it should exist. That should totally exist. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. It's not something directly related to what you brought up, but it reminded me of something. I also love the fact that they made fun of Hallmark movies so hard. Yes, <laughs> that was tight. That was tight. And I loved it, too. And all the funny about, names were great. Yeah, and I loved it, too, when they were talking about, like, oh, and they realized that, you know, gay relationship movies aren't like a death sentence anymore. Now they're making all of them. And that kind of fits <laughs> into what Hallmark movies do. Nothing against Hallmark movies specifically. I mean, they fulfill a, a niche of movies that people like to see. That's fine. Well, I also wonder if it was like an inside joke, too, because uh, I think Lucas McFarlane, Aaron, I think most of his other movies that he did before this were Hallmark movies. Oh, it was. <laughs> yeah. It's very much like how in the first Psych Which movie. Which is kind of funny. And well, it's very much like in the first Psych movie when they joke about Jules and a Hallmark movie. Well, Jules would never do that. Yeah. And it's because yeah, Maggie totally Lawson, the, the woman that plays Jules, was in a Hallmark movie. So I get it. Yep. Like, it's just always fun to poke at them like that. And I, I like the fact that that was his bread and butter. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, let's fucking, you know, make fun of it. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So. No. And the fact that in general, they all are like all of the main and supporting characters were LGBTQ community people in real life. Like, I think that was a really smart idea. Billy Eichner talked about that too. And I just think it makes sense to do that. Like, and yeah, if this is the type of rom-com you're trying to make, like it was a very good move to make all of the supporting characters um, in that community as well. No, very true. Yeah. And so even though, yes, we were getting a lot of similar storytelling beats, especially being that it was a romantic comedy, it just felt really different, man. It just felt like you, it still felt like I was getting something different. I guess just because the acting, the presentation of it, and the perspective that it was coming from is one that I'm unfamiliar with. So it just felt like I was getting something kind of new. It just felt like a new take on an old formula. And so, and sometimes that can work for a movie. Like, I think... Yes, it's great when a movie can reinvent the wheel and um, do do something innovative and spellbounding in that way and stuff like that. But if you can't reinvent the storytelling wheel, then maybe you can do it with the dressing, so to speak. Maybe you can do it with the with the characters. Maybe you can do it with the perspective that is presented. You know, maybe even though we've seen this this kind of love story play out in this way with these sort of two lovers from a different from different places different worlds or whatever um sometimes just seeing it from a different perspective does make it feel fresh 
So it felt, I don't yeah. know, it just felt a little more refreshing to me. It just felt um, like a lot of fun. It just felt like I was getting something that I really am not used to getting. So it just kind of, so I just kind of felt like, yeah, man, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really digging this, man. It's nice to see this. And I don't know, maybe some of that, some of those feelings maybe did impact my score or why I enjoyed it more because I just, it, it, because I just, it just felt like I was getting something a, a little different from what I'm always seeing. So I don't know, maybe just that feeling that I was on, that cloud nine feeling I was on, like, oh man, this is, it is really cool to see this. Maybe that impacted my score. You know, I'm got the same conditioning you guys kind of talked about with, you know, this is how a rom-com, this is the kind of rom-com I'm used to. These are the kind of leads I'm used to seeing. These are the kinds of, and you know, I can't really beat around the bush. These are the kinds of men I'm used to seeing in these roles. These are the kinds of women I'm used to seeing in these roles. So, um, and that can condition how you see something for better or for worse. Some people, it might condition them and they go, well, because this is not anything that I have seen before or I see a lot of, I'm not enjoying this as much. I think for me, maybe it had the opposite effect where it was kind of like, man, I haven't seen this perspective before, so therefore I am enjoying it. And I don't know. I, I think my score probably was impacted that way too. So maybe some of these things you're talking about didn't affect me as much just because I was looking at, oh man, this is uh, th- th- this is this feels so new to me. That stuff, I didn't grade it as harshly, I guess you could say. Again, not saying you guys are wrong. I guess that's just the thought that just came into my head. Like, you know, oh, maybe that could be why I just didn't see it the same way. I don't know. I think my conditioning affects me too, (laughs) in other words. I mean, I, and that's fair. It's just, I think to me, it depends on what you get out of rom-coms though. Mm. If you like seeing the duality of the full relationship that a lot of rom-coms, especially more modern rom-coms bring, this movie doesn't deliver on that front. At least not completely. You know, and that's... And and I and I, I think that that kind of hits at that though, because I mean to me, I hate doing this because I'm comparing it to a very bad movie. Um, but this is kind of a little bit more like Shallow How, on the rom com front, where Gwyneth Paltrow's character you don't really get the before part and you don't you know what I mean. Her character's only in it from the perspective of the Jack Black character. And I, I like, I like to see the more well the, or the full roundedness of the relationship. I like it. I like to see the the lives beforehand and the lives during, and then the lives when they get separated. Like you know what I mean? I I, I get more fulfillment out of that than seeing it focusing more on one character and getting just the bits of the other. 
but I mean, it's it's still fair. It's in, and like you said, Justin. It's not like this is the first rom com to do that. You know, it's not. It's just I think, like I said, on the rom com aspect of this movie, what do you know? What draws you to rom coms will influence that aspect of it. Because, like you said, Justin, the ending's pretty much always the same. They always follow the same beats. You always typically have the scene where they break up and then end up getting back together. You you have those scenes. It's just, you know, for you, you were okay with it being more focused, the journey being more focused on Billy than Heather was or that I was without it being focused on both. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's all fair either way. Like I said, that part of it, the rom com movie part of it, it really just I think that depends on what you want out of your rom coms and what you go in wanting to see from a rom com. You know, that's kind of like the personal taste aspect of it at that point, because like it's like you know action movies. Do you like you know hand to hand combat scene focused action movies, or do you like the big? you know, spectacle bombs exploding, you know, stunt one. You know what I mean? They're all action movies. But what style of action do you like, you know, want the most out of it? So maybe this boils down to the style of rom-com. You know? Yeah. So we do have another movie, guys. Yeah, I was about to say I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> All right. Next one. Smile. Uh, once again, spoiler free. Recommendations and scores. Spoilers. I'll start it off, guys. Let's throw everybody for a loop. Smile. Smile did not make me smile. At all. <laughs> I very much was miserable. Throughout most of my viewing of Smile, I was very bored. I was very annoyed. I was very unhappy. I think it's safe to say, guys, I did not like the movie Smile at all. I thought the pacing was incredibly uneven. I think it had good concepts that it didn't know how to fulfill, especially with its lack of ability to control its pacing. I think this is a movie that wanted to be another It Follows, but then didn't want to do the things that It Follows does incredibly well that made it good. And I really did not like the end of this movie. Oof, 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 oof. I did not like the end of this movie. So, I can be very quick about Smile. Because that's why I spoil the free thoughts about this movie. Uh, we did Jason last time. Heather, go. <laughs> um, Honestly, it was fine for me, too. Like, uh, it wasn't anything necessarily groundbreaking like just the 
it's not what I expected it to be just based off of all of the buzz it was getting, which by now I should know better than to really feel like it leaves up to the hype of if it's a horror movie. But um, it was fine. Like, I also thought the concepts, some of the concepts were cool. I enjoyed the very um, psychological thriller aspect of this movie. I thought that was good. Um, I had a similar feeling as you did where I was kind of like, it's a less good version of it follows in a way. Um, but I, I actually, I, I liked, um, Sosie Bacon as the lead. I thought she was great. I haven't seen her as a lead role before. I thought she was really good. Um, I think she did a great job in her performance and the majority of this movie is her. So, um, you have to be decent enough to you know carry it um i i didn't really find it boring i get what you mean about the pacing i do think the pacing was very odd i feel like especially in the latter half of this movie it kind of turned into a completely different type of horror movie which was really weird um but i i was kind of intrigued the whole time just because i'm like really trying to figure out what is going on here uh, the investigation part of it and the um, digging into what happened with some of these people. I liked that aspect of it. Um, I think that I I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the supporting characters in this movie. Um, there was maybe two of them that I liked one and a half, really. <laughs> um, the others were just kind of there, didn't really add or take away much of anything. It's really very reliant on the main girl in this movie. Um, I think that it, I think with the pacing thing, it really comes down to they kickstarted the events happening so early in the movie. And that's why it just feels very weirdly paced, I think. Um, but it was fine. Like, I'm, I also was not a big fan of how this concluded. I think that. I liked where they were going with the idea uh, behind this movie. Like, I guess the, the theme that they were going for with this movie, but I don't really like how they got there at the end of it, if that makes sense. So it was okay. It was a fine movie. It's not the scariest horror film. It's not the most intriguing or the craziest twist of a movie. Um, it's fine though. I liked it more than Sterling did. Apparently, <laughs> Um, it's not excellent. It's not great, but I mean, I'm, it made me think about the other horror movies that have come out this year. And it's, I mean, it's kind of probably sitting up there in the middle, you know, like, I don't know. It, it might, it might not be the best one, but I definitely saw worse horror movies this year. Um, it's fine. It's very, very much just an okay movie to me. Yeah, you're not saying much. Man. You said you liked it more than me. Oh. That's all I was saying. Justin, your turn. <laughs> um, man, I guess I'm on the other side of this when it comes to you guys. I liked Smile. I thought it was all right, man. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it's more good than bad. Um, it's better than Barbarian, I think. Uh, it made better choices, I thought at the end because I think it took a less is more approach with its concept 
It get, it gives you a concept. It says, this is the concept. And then it sticks with that concept all the way through. And sometimes that's a little more effective than trying to do a little bit too much, which is what I think sort of happened with Barbarian, where you got all these different concepts and we kind of didn't really get the, the strength to pronounce any of them at the end. This one says, look, this is the concept. This is why this is happening. And it sticks with that all the way through. And the ending, while may not be traditionally the most satisfying, I guess I appreciated the consistency of it with the theme, with what they set up, with the premise, and then where it winds up. To me, it all just went together without without the film trying to do too much. I think they, they went with something a little more simple, and I think it actually wound up serving the movie better for it, rather than trying to come up with this big surprise, ambiguous type of thing. It didn't really do that. It, it just sort of said, okay, look, this is what we set up, and this is what we're going to get at the end. So I appreciated that. I guess I appreciated it, the simplicity of that. I thought it had good visuals. I thought it created a good atmosphere. I thought it had some good jump scares. I was watching it with people and people were reacting to one to some of the parts. There was a jump scare that I'm not going to lie, kind of got me a little bit, man. They got me. Now, I didn't jump out of the theater or anything like that, but there was one and I kind of and I was kind of like, "Ooh, okay. Okay, movie. You got me. Justin. You got me." And I haven't been got in a long time. But they got me. There was one. And I, they got me. I think I know which one you're talking about, Justin. And the really funny thing is about it is that, like, that got you. That jump scare didn't get me. But that is one of the things that prevented me from falling asleep. <laughs> I was almost well, asleep when that happened. I'm, like, fading. That, uh, that happened and went, I'm okay, curious. I'm away. Okay. I'm curious well, what part least- it is. We'll have to talk about it. <laughs> at least it did that. At least it did that. But there was one scene that got me. And like I said, I'm not usually that person who jump scares because most of the time you see him coming, you know, oh, okay, here it comes. Or, you know, we've been long enough and you know, okay, the jump scare is coming any moment now. Normally, I just said, I know sell it. This one, I sold it a little bit, though. I was kind of like, okay, all right. Okay, movie. All right. You, you you got me. You got me. That's more than I can say for a lot of horror mo- movies I've seen lately. So I don't know, man. I, I, I guess I enjoyed this a little more than y'all, man. I thought it was creepy. I thought it had a good atmosphere. I liked the premise of this entity, this smile, the, the, this, this smiler, if you will. I, I don't know what you would call this thing, but um, I liked it, man. I, I thought it was cool. I, I liked what they did, especially with what they did with some of the visuals with it and what would happen to people and stuff like that. And I liked the whole underlying message of it all about trauma and stuff like that. So I thought it had all those things. I get the vibes about it follows because it very much was like that. When you look at the the, the concept of trauma that it was talking about and how that plays into the quote-unquote demon monster of the movie and where we wind up. 
So I get you. Nowhere near as effective as that. I'll give you that. It's not as effective as something as It Follows. But I do think it was effective because it does sort of follow that formula. Like like a Baba Duke or like or like um an it follows. I do think it follow it has enough of those concepts. It was smart enough to where I appreciated that. And then at when it gets to the end, it doesn't get in its own way with the ending. I I think it it keeps it pretty simple, and I was fine with it. So yeah, I guess I enjoyed this more than you guys. I thought it was a solid horror movie you know you i think this is one you and a group of friends can go and you know especially with it being halloween people are going to be in the mood for scary movies i don't think you have any problem seeing this one justin i feel like you personally attacked me when you brought in the baba into this you brought my boy (laughs) baba duke into this it's offensive, Not sir. saying that it's on the level of that, because that's like really one of the higher level ones. But what I'm saying is, you know, taking a concept and that concept encapsulating the monster, encapsulating what the character's going through, and it go through this journey-ish and the monster being the metaphor for it, what the character's going yeah. through, et cetera. It's that. It, essentially, that's what this movie is. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, that I get, but like... I kind of disagree. We're, we're going to have to get to spoilers on this because. Yeah, I can't wait. Because I go. disagree. I think the ending, it does get in its own way. Like, I like and I don't like I know what the message was. I don't think it fulfilled it. Okay. All right, let's move on. Let's get to this. Can't wait. Can't wait. Next one. Recommendations and score. I'll keep this trend up. I don't recommend it unless I will say this, unless you're fighting some insomnia right now, (laughs) then go see it. Dude, I was fighting back. I spent so much time in this movie fighting the Sandman, just trying to beat off the King of Dreams. I don't know if anybody has watched The Sandman, the TV show on Netflix, but there's a scene where Lucifer fights The Sandman. And I felt like I was Lucifer in this situation, fighting off Dreamland. Because it was coming for me. It was coming for me like the sleep or the, the, the dental demon. That's what I'm going to call it. The dental demon in this movie was coming off after uh, after the character in this. I was fighting off sleep like I was in a fucking nightmare on Elm Street movie. So no, I don't. What what score did I I gave I gave Bros a seventy eight. I will mm-hmm. give it the exact inverse. 22. This is 22. Fuck you for killing that dear sweet cat mustache out of 100. (laughs) 
Justin, you laughed a little too giddily at that. Uh, Heather, what about you? I I would recommend it. Like, it wasn't bad. Um, I, I think uh, as far as these two movies that we're talking about are going, I mean, they're very different types of movies. I don't know. I liked this one maybe a little bit more. I think it piqued my interest just a slight bit more. Um, it's okay. You know, it's fine. Um, I think... I don't know. Like, I feel like, again, like the psychological aspect of it and the concept that behind this movie, I appreciated more than I think the execution of it. Not not too much. I'm not on the sterling end of it where I just think it's complete garbage. (laughs) But I do think that like the execution, it could have been done just a little bit better. Probably that's my real only issue probably with this. Um, and just the fact that I think they kickstarted the craziness happening a little bit too soon in the movie. Um, I, I would have liked, uh, liked a little bit more of a lead up before things start happening just to kind of build a little bit more of that tension. Um, otherwise it was fine. So I would say I'll probably give it, um, I'll give it like a 73 mustaches and also name for a cat out of a hundred. Justin, who? What about you? Um, yeah, I recommend it too. Like I said, I think it was just a good. It was just a popcorn, uh, good horror movie time, man. I, 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 I wasn't bored with it. I like, like I said, I like the visuals. I like the jump scares. I think it was creepy enough. It's introspective enough. I think with the theme and what it was talking about and what the film was about. So it has that going for it. Uh, to me, it checked all the boxes. Like it, 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 it had enough fun horror elements. The, the lead was good in this and the other minor characters, nobody does anything offensive or anything like that. Nobody necessarily takes away from the story. Um, so the, the, they were just there and served their purpose to drive this main character journey that we were on. So I thought all of that was fine. Um, the, 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 the back and forth with the dental demon, as you put it, <laughs> Sterling, I, I thought was good. I thought that it made for some good concepts. I thought it made for some fun visuals. Um, and I thought that it made for overall, uh, enjoyable movie. You know, I, I had a, a pretty good time watching this. You know, I didn't think it was great or anything, but I was like, you know what? That wasn't bad. All right. Cool. What else am I doing with my night? I I, I walked out smiling. I didn't walk out angry or sleepy or anything like that, like Sterling did. I was I walked out happy. It was like, yeah, man, let me think about what I liked and didn't like about this movie. Um my I guess my complaint would just be, you know, I wish that there are certain things that I wish they had expounded on more. There are maybe some certain characters that I thought maybe could have used um, some more scenes and stuff like that. I wish I could have seen more of the havoc that the thing was causing, maybe seen more of it than rather than be told a lot of it. So that was maybe one thing that I would have expounded on. It would have been cool to have seen some more victims, seen things happen to more victims rather than be told it. So that might be something that I would have, uh, like to have seen more of just because I was interested in what was going on with this. Um, 
So, yeah, and there are some things that I think could have been explained better as far as the the, the adversary, the demon and everything like that. You know, um, maybe on that end, a couple of more questions answered would have probably had me give it a higher score. But not all horror movies are like that. Sometimes you just need this unstoppable force and then we get to the end and that's it. That that's sort of what this was. So I'm not going to knock it too much for that because a lot of horror movies follow that formula and it's fine. It, it, you can get away with that sometimes. Uh, with that being said, we'll go with, I'm, I'm slightly higher than Heather, like, like 2.75. Yeah, we'll go with um, 75. Um, and I, and you took mine, Sterling Conda, because I was going to say 75 dead cat birthday presents in a box out of 100. We all had cat-themed scores this time. <laughs> we did. So, that means the official Cine score of this movie is 57. So. Okay. Unjust, but okay. You're right. It should be a lot fucking lower. I should have. Don't Higher. worry, darling, that shit. I'm trying to be fair. So. Spoilers. Yep. Spoilers. This movie almost made my pretzel taste bad. I mean, one of my biggest issues with this movie really is the pacing of it. I had a lot of problems with it diving in to the the chaos that is the dental demon. Does that so early in the movie. And then it is so wildly inconsistent. With when those the, the 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 side effects or the ramifications of the dental demon like comes and goes, it, it'll go from like in your face, like it's fucking happening right now, to very mild, and maybe it's happening in the background, to it's in your face again, and then you get like two scenes of maybe in the background. It's so varied. But also so long because it happens so early in the movie. And you find out what it is really early in the movie. So like this woman is having this mental breakdown. And then coming back from it and having it again and coming back from it and then having it again. in a way that just felt forced and uninteresting to me. Like, cause it jumps so quickly into this fucking thing is happening. That scene that it shows in the trailer where the, the patient is sitting in the room and smiling. Then she goes and sees it. And then the shit happens from that. And then the shit happening at the birthday party all happens like so early in the movie. Like the birthday scene to me 
should have been later in the movie. It's in the first third. It's so early. And it's so in your face. That whenever the creature backs off, like two creature scenes later, it feels inconsistent. It doesn't feel like it's a a crescendo. It feels like it's just these weird little waves. And that inconsistency really just kind of drove me nuts. Especially when the theme of the movie and a big aspect of this movie is like you said, Justin, dealing with trauma and dealing with mental health. All of those things felt like rings so hollow into with this movie to me. Because they're like, man, you're hella traumatized because this woman killed herself right in front of you. Take a week. All will be fine in seven days. They don't even recommend seeing anybody, talk to anybody, nothing. And then on top of that, she knows she should do that because she is a mental health professional. And she's very hesitant to do that in general. She kind of does, but then doesn't want to. And then on top of all that, like things that she would recommend her patients do, she's mad when other people do that to her. And then they really do so much of this trope that I fucking hate in this movie and it hinges so much for the plot in this movie when this woman is having something that they've made in this movie a supernatural thing. And everybody wants to play it off as just mental illness. I kind of understand that because that's a very interesting premise that maybe not all mental illness is mental illness. Maybe it is a supernatural force and all these other things. I'm not necessarily against that idea. I think that you could do that in very strong ways and stuff like that. But this movie's so quick to going, mom was crazy, you are too. And your mom was crazy and I looked it up in genetics. And she's like, I can't believe you looked that up. I'm offended. Like, that's so wildly crazy that a mental health professional would ever have that mindset at any given point in time that a partner of somebody whose family has mental health issues would do any sort of research into mental health issues. Mind-boggling. And so when it presents those things, and then it really does feel like the movie is about dealing with trauma. Feels like that's what the movie's about. So when you get to the third act, and she's been dealing with her trauma and really kind of, you know, processing it and doing the things and all that other stuff, and then the movie just goes, Now nah, we're just kidding. It's not really about that. It's the dental demon's going to get you anyway. I was like, so what the fuck is this movie about? Like, I get that that's like kind of, you know, that's still the point. And I'm not necessarily saying that the movie needs to be consistent in that regard of it could be about trauma. So if you deal with trauma, you deal with the demon. But it doesn't need to have the whole I'm dealing with my trauma and dealing with these things and all this other stuff. And then have a fake out, nah, I tricked you ending with it. Which is also inconsistent with the things they set up in the movie. 
the movie does say that, yes, the dental demon will make you think you see people that may be dead or aren't there and all this other stuff. But then I do find it kind of weird at the end of the movie that this demon is just doing full on you're in another place in time hallucinations. That doesn't quite line up with what anybody said it did at that point. Because even the guy that was like, that had broke the chain wasn't really describing it like that. The girl that was talking to the doctor that kills herself doesn't really describing it like that. So to me, it felt like that was just a way for them to justify doing the fake out ending at the end. When I don't really feel like the movie did a good enough job of supporting that that's a possible thing. And also on top of that, the creepiest thing that the dental demon does in the movie was that scene when she was lying in bed and her ghost mother's coming down the hall and talking to her. She's lying in bed and she just like rolls over because she knows that if she looks that way, she'll see her dead mother and all that shit. I thought that that was a really super effective scene. Really kind of super cool. And then it kind of just goes away from that type of shit. It goes to some more in your face type of stuff. I also thought it would have been really cool if they played more into what It Follows did with the whole idea of like, once you like watch It Follows, It Follows has a great rewatchability. Because you want to go and just watch it and see if you can see the monster in the background. You're just looking everywhere but what actually is happening. Just to see if you can see. You know what I mean? Like you're breaking down things. You're like, well, look at that person walking there. Do you think that that's the monster? You try to see in another scene if it lines up that maybe they're closer. You know, that type of thing. Like it really lines up that way. I think that this movie would have been so cool if... They didn't have that patient smiling scene so quickly into it. And they just gave her time off because she did see somebody die right in front of her instead of her also having a freak out with the patient instead. You know what I mean? Have that part of be part of it that she gets, you know, put on leave for a little bit. But like have her just walking and just walk by and just see somebody like on the corner of her eye just doing that stupid smile thing. And just be a random person. Don't even have it. Doesn't have to be somebody she knows. Any of that just stupid fucking smile face. And then she turn around. That person's not there, or that person is there, but they're not smiling. They're just walking. And just kind of do that where, like, but you might where the audience might see it first. Have and have her not even notice. Littler things like that, I think, would have been more effective in this movie, and I think it sets up great for those things. It just didn't take any advantage of it. I just kind of feel like it was a good premise and it had some good ideas and it never really followed through. I didn't end up liking its message about mental health because I think as much as it was trying to be ahead of its or not ahead of its time, but more realistic about things and actually promote like tackling mental health issues or anything like that, it still dug in too deep with bad mental health stereotypes and it loved utilizing them, those aspects in central plots of its plot or central parts of its plot. And like I said, it jumps into it too fast, but then goes too slow with it. Very weird to me. I was just never really 
never really ended up connecting with this movie. Like once it started going with the dental demon, it never ended up hooking me in. And so it's like this train's going and I'm still just kind of standing there on the, what's it called? The little thing that the trains pull up to, uh, at the station. On the platform, that's what it is, platform. I'm just, like, standing on the platform watching the train go, like, just like, eh, maybe I'll catch another one another time. Because that was not the train for me. Anyway, Justin, what were some of your thoughts? Um, I just think that um, when it started off for me, I, I thought the opening scene was effective. I like how at first it just started with her just in general having that male patient and everything like that, interacting with him and stuff like that. And so I like that it didn't go right directly into. I like how it started with just like her having a typical patient and stuff like that. And you just seeing her interact with this person. So I got the feeling, okay, um, she's, she seems good at her job. You know, you got to see her interacting with the patient and everything like that. So, you know, I thought that that was what, what they did with Rose right at the beginning of that was fine. And then whenever she does encounter um, the the smiler or whatever we want to call him, dental demon smiler person, whatever, um, I thought that that scene was effective, man. All that back and forth and her trying to talk to her and the unresponsiveness and everything uh, and everything in that. And then the whole, when she cut her neck from side to side, and then was whilst smiling and then collapsed to the ground, uh, the patient and everything. I thought that that was pretty effective, man. I liked all of that. I, I was like, Oh damn. You know? So I think it started with a pretty solid, attention grabber just kind of setting up that concept and then the whole movie is about this demon trying to penetrate her trauma and we and to me it was pretty straightforward we find out what the trauma is exactly we see glimpses of it until the the movie's ready to tell us what the trauma is so once we get the trauma we kind of understand that it helped me to understand what, why she sort of has this relationship with the sister the way it was when she opens up to her sister about some of those things. You can now see the dynamic. That was enough for me to understand the dynamic with their relationship. Um, I understood her going through that traumatic event, but it felt like I guess I bought it because with her being um a doctor and her being a, a kind of a somebody who helps people deal with mental health. Maybe in that moment, she did feel like, you know what? I can handle this. I'm the professional. I can handle this. I don't need, you know, I don't need any immediate help or anything like that. And so I like that her boss was like, no, look, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, you thought that you could handle this, but clearly I'm seeing, I'm seeing that you can't. Just go take a week. Just go take a week. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that to me it felt like okay, you're you're you may be a mental health professional, but even you need some time. 
you may think you're okay. You're telling me you're okay, but just take the week and let's do what's best for you. Um, I, I, I was okay with that. And they didn't over, you know, they didn't draw that out or anything like that. I don't think that they overstate their welcome with that. You know, she got sent home and then all this stuff starts happening at home. And it just felt like this demon was just trying to, you know, he was inching through, inching through, inching through, playing all these mind games, showing her all these things, just inching through, getting through to that trauma to where finally it could take hold. And of course, there needed to be another person there. And they said this thing feeds off of trauma. So it's trying to find this other person that it can manipulate whilst it's having you kill yourself. So it's all about this spreading of trauma. And I guess I like that. I was feeling that, man, because I do think that trauma is spread. You know, I I do think that a person can have a trauma and then they can, whether they realize it or not, indirectly or and a lot of times directly affect other people. I mean, to me, that's not an unrealistic thing. That's a very realistic thing, you know? And sometimes that trauma, just like this monster, can be traced back. It can be traced back to different people you meet. It can be traced back to members of the family. It can be traced back to, you know, and in this case it was, oh, seeing somebody kill themselves as a traumatic event. But I think anybody with just common knowledge knows that trauma can work like this. And and, it, and sometimes it can be hereditary. Sometimes it can just be people that you meet. Sometimes you have these traumatic experiences and it impacts your behaviors. And when you meet somebody, when you befriend somebody, when you go into a relationship with somebody, you carry some of that baggage and then your behaviors, how you treat them is directly is directly related to your trauma. So I liked this whole thing about this monster that, you know, he gets to you by your trauma. But then after that, it's very important for it to spread to someone else. If there's nobody else to spread it to, if there's nobody there to overcome it, then it's not as effective. But as long as there's somebody thinking about it, dwelling on it, dealing with it, then it remains. And then it's, you know, and it's, um, and if it's not overcome, then it continues. So I was cool with all of that. It definitely gave me, it follows vibes, but I like the whole thing of somebody having to experience it and stuff like that. And then when she talked to the prisoner person and the whole thing about the only way to stop it is to you either got to, um, you know, you, you have to kill someone or kill yourself and all of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, trying to set up these rules and everything like that and saying, okay, this is the only way that I was able to escape it. You know, I had to, um, you know, I had to stop the spread by doing that. You know, you either got to do it to yourself or you got to do it to this. So all of that was fine to me. And when it gets to the end, um, I can see that the the ending being problematic for some people because this character doesn't win. You know what I mean? This character isn't able to overcome the dental demon or um, what whatever it is at the end. 
But I guess, and maybe this is just the way I reflected on it, I guess I was kind of okay with that because not all trauma is overcome. You know, some trauma is never overcome. You know, um, some people, you know, sometimes I've I've heard people say, tell stories and seen situations where, you know, you may face, you know, that trauma comes and you may face it that day, but then it's going to come back or, you know, it's going to come back or maybe a memory is triggered and you got to deal with it all over again. Or, it, you know, I've heard people say, well, those things, that bad thing that happened to me, that family member that died, it never really quite goes away. And it's a constant battle. And sometimes you battle that till you die. Some people can overcome it or can get to where they can function, but a lot of people don't. So I don't know, man. I was like, damn, you know, she rose as, as, as much as she tried, as hard as she fought, she just wasn't able to overcome that thing. And I don't know. I was kind of okay with that. I didn't feel like the movie lied to me or anything like that. When I, when I think about trauma, it felt, you know, I, I was okay uh, with the ending that I got. So I don't know. And I liked all the little hallucinations and the little things that she would see and how it would affect how she was talking to other people and stuff like that. And since they didn't really set up any limitations to this, like, well, this is the way this thing attacks you. Since it's all mental attacking and stuff like that, it just makes sense that the demon would focus on what is the trauma that affects you? What are your insecurities? What is it that you have trouble dealing with and try to amplify that in your head, which is what this monster was doing. You know, she had the trauma about her mom and it wasn't like a, a, a curse started or a spread started because of that. But that was the trauma in her life, in her head. That was the, her insecurity. That was the thing for it to feed off of. That was the trauma it found within her that it could feed off of. And that's where all those delusions come from. So I think the delusions differ based on the trauma, on the trauma that plagues said person. You know what I mean? And sometimes it was just the direct trauma of seeing somebody die. But it felt like this monster could also, once that happened and it and it connected with you, then it could kind of cycle through and hit you with whatever it is, is that main thing in your life until it was time to end you and spread to the next person that was more fun or more enticing to mess with. So all of that I was cool with. The the my main complaints, like I said, was I wish I could have seen more of these victims. I, I wish I could have seen more of what happened to them and their traumatic deaths and stuff like that. Because some of those, when you're looking at those crime scene photos and stuff, you're just like, oh damn, how did that person get it? Or how did how did this person come about? So it would have been cool to have gotten more of an explanation of that. And then the the trauma demon, if you will. Uh, just more of a why, you know, where did it come from? Is it a demon? And so, it, and this is how this, and you know, is it just one of the, I don't know, seven deadly sin or whatever, whatever demon or whatever. So it feeds on people this way. Are there demons that feed on other things? And this just happens to be a demon that feeds on this, you know, 
We didn't get any of those answers or anything like that because they wanted to just go with the mysterious type of thing with this. But it would have been nice to have, I guess, understood uh, ultimately what's the demon's why. Like, okay, so you traumatize everybody and then you kill everybody. If there's nobody left to kill, then what happens to trauma demon? What? Well, what? What? What happens then? Or how does it become stronger? Does this make it stronger? You know, we just didn't know any of that. You know. Well, that. But that last thing you brought up—that's kind of the whole, the crux of 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 the evil being or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, vampires that want to kill all humans and like do all this stuff. It's like, well, if you do all that, what the fuck are you going to eat? You know, yeah. it's yeah, it's the super villain that wants to destroy the world. It's like, but why? Like, what do you gain out of actually destroying the world? Yeah. And if you feed off trauma, then there has to be someone who is suffering from it or traumatic. So eventually you're just going to run out of, uh, aren't you just going to run out of people or run out of trauma? Cause there won't be any, a lot, anybody alive to experience trauma. So, you know, that was like something I felt like maybe the, the, the movie wrote itself into a hole and could never possibly explain that. You know, maybe this was just better as a one and done in and out concept and that's it. It's over. Or maybe it's better not to explain it to you because there is no real good explanation. <laughs> maybe that's more along the lines of what happened here. We don't have a good one, so we just won't explain it. Which might have been smarter the movie, I don't know. But either way, it wasn't there, and it did feel like it was missing to better understand the adversary. But but anyway, that's all I got at the moment, I guess. Yeah, and all I'll say with that though is I do think it's better that they didn't get into that explanation personally. Yeah, because yeah. I think it would have been weird in this movie if they had a scene where they were like, "Oh, I found this. It's like an ancient Egyptian text that explains like this monster that's you know." For centuries, just been, you know what I mean? Like, it would have ended yeah, up being something like that. Yeah, and they always like do that, like, in lesser movies, they'll have that character, or I thought the jail character was, and essentially he was, a kind of that character that tells you, okay, this is what it does, and this is what it, and this is why it's after you, sort of thing. But I'm, But you're right. I'm glad that, you know, he wasn't like, a long time ago, in biblical times, you know, John the Baptist did this and a demon. I'm glad that we, I'm kind of, like you said, I'm kind of glad we didn't get that. You know, he just traced it back looking at victims, which makes sense that a person would do that. But it wasn't like, oh, I know the whole story sitting here in prison right now. You know, I do feel like there's a deleted scene somewhere where there, there's some character that's like, that's been obsessed with it. That's like, I've been tracing every killing it's ever done all the way to this ancient Babylonian king. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yes. Yes, Uh, I can totally see that. Heather, what about you? I do feel like they leave a lot of the things a little bit ambiguous. Um, Like as far as, for example, at the end of this movie, it's almost like, she finally dealt with the trauma of what happened with her mom, but then, and then we think everything is good. Right. And then it's a fake out. Um, 
but we get that scene where she's talking to her ex, the detective guy. And, you know, she's kind of explaining, basically it's, I think in that moment it showed how trauma has affected her relationships with people as well. And so it's like, maybe while she has started to deal with this one trauma, there's the trauma of losing this relationship that she clearly cared a lot about that she hasn't dealt with yet. And maybe that's why the demon didn't actually go away because she had more trauma that she still hadn't dealt with. I feel like that could be part of what was going on, but also, you know, the idea that like you were saying, Justin trauma doesn't, it doesn't just go away. And sometimes people deal with it for their whole lives. So I feel like there's a couple of different ways that this can be looked at. Um, which I guess when when it comes to dealing with trauma, it's it's probably maybe better that it's a little bit more ambiguous how this movie ends in that regard. Um, and I and I like the idea that they put out there of your mind is a prison for your trauma. Like it's you. This is you're living in this space, and you're you're holding yourself back because you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to face it. You don't you know, want to address it or even talk about it. And so you can't heal from it. And it is always with you. And I like that idea. I like that concept. And I think it's a very profound concept because it's very true. Um, I just think, I don't know what it is, but there's something about just how this was executed that I wasn't, it wasn't my favorite way. Like I, I like the idea that they put out there for this, but the way they executed it at the end was just a little bit off for me, like, because it just, I almost feel like it would have been even more like ominous to never really show what this demon looks like, (laughs) you know, to just kind of always wonder. And even that scene when she's with her therapist and her therapist becomes like this weird thing coming at her, like, I almost just feel like never seeing what the other people see when the demon actually comes at you kind of would have been cool because then you're just like, all you see is a smiling person, but you never know what they're actually seeing on their end. You know, I think that could have been kind of cool to do it that way. Um, but I mean, there were some there were some moments that were pretty creepy. I'm actually curious what the jump scare moment was you guys were talking about. I had a few for me, but I'm way more easily scared than you guys are. Oh, my bad. I didn't even mention that. I, I totally forgot in that whole dialogue. Okay, so the part that I'm talking about is um, where she's at home and she's listening to the um, the the audio on her computer, and so she's sitting there and you can hear that, uh, you know, that that part where yeah. she's like talking to the patient, and then you hear that, uh, and so then she's trying to investigate and hear that sound. She turns it all the way up, and, and it's like. Uh, and then it's doing that. And then like the camera folk, and then she's leaning in, like trying to hear that. And then the camera focuses on the waves and you're seeing a wave go. And then all of a sudden it's Rose, you know? And I was like, Oh shit. You know, I was all focused on the waves. I don't know. It, maybe it was yeah. something about the visual of that. The way they did it was very manipulative. And I thought it was effective because she was listening to it. You hear it. Yeah. And then she gets closer. You hear it again. And then like she leans in and all you can see is the lines and you're waiting. And then it's and it and the, the monitor's going 
and it, and they just got me, man. It was the old bait, you know. They they baited because normally, like, the scene plays out where you're like, you know, you're supposed the character's not paying attention, but you are, and you know that the jump scare is coming. They totally got me, man. I was I was looking at the lines. Yeah, I was listening for the sound, and then bam, it was. Then bam, they hit with the rose and everything, and she was off to the side of her. And I was like, oh shit. All right. All right. That was the same. Yeah. Got Is that the that one you're talking about, Sterling? Yeah. I mean, to me, it was kind of obvious that it was coming because to me, that was the focus on this, so you don't see it coming. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where it becomes less effective is, though, is that there's not really anything that plays that's that very like early two thousands, late nineties media player type of screen where it's like, Oh, look at the waves go while it talks and stuff like that. Most modern software that plays music or plays recordings or stuff like that doesn't do that. And that was bugging me. <laughs> like my software does it cause it's audio engineering software. I can see waveforms and this and that. They still don't do it in that form anymore. That's a very antiquated thing. And it was on a Mac. So the default Mac audio player is going to be the music app or QuickTime, depending on the file. And so that was bugging me. I was like, what the fuck is this audio player? This is bullshit. So I never got lulled into the the scene. So when it happened, I'm like, whatever. Like I said, I was like, I was kind of checked out. Like, I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck is this scene? This is dumb. Scared. I'm like, of course, whatever. Like, I get it. Like, but that's the thing is I get why that didn't affect me. Because it's such a niche thing. Something I forgot to bring up in bros. Billy Eichner's character has the same mixer that we have. I didn't even notice that. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Also, it wasn't you turned on. You would notice on. that. <laughs> so that bugged me. Sorry. You know what I mean? I see things like that because yeah. that's my wheelhouse. You know? It's kind of yeah. like when people talk internet shit or connectivity and all this other stuff and fiber optic cables. It's my wheelhouse. So when they're starting to say bullshit and it's just wrong, I'm just like, whatever. So like, I, it's easy for me. To, like I said, I'm not really mad at this movie for using a visual media player just because they want, they do that. So you have something visual to go along with hearing the voice. That's the whole purpose of it. I get it. It's the same reason why a lot of sitcoms, when you have people sitting around talking, they're typically doing it around like, like drinking coffee or at a bar or at a restaurant or something like that. Because it gives the actor something to physically do while they talk. Whether or not it's picking up a drink or picking up food or something. It's just a visual thing. It just helps people deal with that type of stuff when it's just talking or audio. So I totally get why they did it. But like I said, I'm sitting there going like, is she putting this through a spectrograph? No. So what the (laughs) fuck is this visual? You know what I mean? So, like, because that's what it was. It was also the spectrograph viewing of it all, which is very weird. I don't even use spectrograph editing in my audio editing. 
because that's a whole other fucking level of audio editing. I still go off waveforms. Um, but yeah, no, that's why that scare didn't quite get to me. And also why I was kind of checked out. And also why I was like, man, I'm probably going to go sleep. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like halfway <laughs> through this movie, I almost, because what I do in movies to also make myself not want to fall asleep is, you know, they're all reclining seats now, right? I, I want to take advantage of the fact that I can kick my feet up. That's a nice feature. I don't like leaning back, though. If I lean back, that's going to make me a sleepy boy. So, you know, what I do in my theater seats is I, you know, when you're hitting the 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 button, the first thing it does is raise your feet. And then you get to that point to where then it starts to lay you back. So I keep myself where my back is relatively 90 degrees, but my feet are up. You know, that's how I, I don't get into the sleepy time position. I really wanted to just kick it all the way back and just take a nap. The fact that you had more to say about like how you sit in a theater in this episode <laughs> tells me how much you did not like this movie. <laughs> it, oh, man. It, it wanted my Bavarian pretzel. My pound and a <laughs> half of pretzel. I'm like 1.2 pounds into it and I'm starting not to like this movie. Cause I agree. I did like <laughs> the beginning of a jest. I agree with that. I thought it was very nice. Like it was very effective. You know, when you, you see the mom at the very first thing and then you see her talking to the male patient and then seeing the, the patient that the, um, the, the teeth terrorizer was going after. I liked all that. I was fine with all that. It's just how quickly that the, what should I say? The, uh, smile. Hmm. Sensationalizer. No, the that sinister doesn't. smiler. Oh, I like that. The sinister smiler. Um, when the it's the molar mauler. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm. <laughs> um, when, when the creature, um, the canine creature, now see that works, but then canine also means dog. I know it means teeth too. <laughs> the incisor instigator, whenever it goes after her, I thought that part was too soon. You know what I mean? So I liked the setup. I thought that that was very effective because you got to see the inciting trauma, but real quick, no explanation. You just get that little glimpse of it. And then you get to see her day, like a normal part of her day. And then you get the abnormal part that starts the events of the movie. I was fine with all that setup. And while that was happening, my pretzel was tasting damn good. Then it started on its bullshit. I think it's like the second (laughs) time she dropped the wine glass in the exact same way as the first time. That really bothered me. That really I did think that was a funny a funny joke though, where he's like, Did you break another glass? Like I kind of thought that was a train told her about herself. I I thought that that was fine. But it's just the fact that it literally happened the same way twice. I literally think they used the same shot. It just, you know, digitally altered it a little bit to make it look like it was a different day. Um, once that started happening, I'm like, man, why does my pretzel taste a little less Bavarian right now? It doesn't taste like a giant <laughs> soft pretzel. It tastes like sadness. <laughs> 
Oh no! It was a little less I mean, salty, I, a little less warm, and the mustard wasn't mustardy as much. It dulled everything. Um, I mean, I actually think there were some creepy moments in this movie. Like, actually, the the first time she does the wine glass drop when she's kind of seeing the lady in the distance, and then her fiance comes in and scares her. That was creepy. You know, um, the scene where she's talking on the phone to the alarm lady and it's like not actually happening. And that part was super creepy, too. Like, I feel like they did have some really good um, suspenseful moments that they did with this movie. Um, I I do feel talking about the fiance, Mr. A-Train. What was his character, though? Like, you're right when you talked about how he's like. I looked it up. This is genetic. And I'm like, how long have you been with this woman? And you never looked this up before or you never talked about this with her before, before you decided to want to marry her. It just didn't, it it felt a little bit off, but just like the way he said that in this very stereotypical way of like, oh, I read this online and, you know, kind of thing. It was super weird. And um, also just, the entire way that he handled the situation was weird. Like, and and I'm not saying that, you know, if you're, if you're with somebody who's dealing with trauma or somebody who has episodes where you might think that they're crazy, you know, like whatever that looks like, I understand why he was scared because of how she was talking about what was going on. But then like his reaction is to, like be like I'm sorry I can't deal with this (laughs) and then to decide to call her therapist and like do like a you know what is it intervention type of thing with her like it was just super weird but then he also just disappeared after that like in any of this like her running off not communicating with anybody it's like was he ever worried because we never saw him call her or text her to be like hey you all right after I ambushed you and whatever, like, I don't know. And, and I'm not saying that like, he shouldn't have been concerned for sure. He should have been concerned, but it was just, I don't know. It was just very interesting, like how that whole thing played out. And he, yeah, the, the detective, the ex-boyfriend, he was the one that was calling and texting and checking on her. And like in any of that time, I actually thought there was going to be a scene where he's calling her or something. And She's with the ex-boyfriend and it becomes a problem. And they didn't even do that. Like he just completely didn't even show up for the last part of the movie. Um, So it was just interesting how his character was done in this movie. But and the detective, I am conflicted about this detective ex-boyfriend because. I, I liked their relationship and I liked how he wanted to help her and how he wasn't questioning like her sanity at any moment. He was just more confused as to why, why she was investigating what she was investigating. So I do appreciate like how he helped her with that. And then he started getting more invested in it to figure out what's going on. And that whole thing was good. But I also feel like a lot of the time he was that very stereotypical dumb cop (laughs) with some of the stuff that he did. Like, I don't know, just the questions she's asking and all of that. He's like, what's going on? Why this? Why that? Like, just acted like he completely would be confused by anything with it when, I don't know, I feel like 
if I feel like he would have caught on a little bit sooner with stuff if, you know, as as a detective, that's probably seen some craziness. You know, it was just he, he kind of almost was a little too tropey as the detective in some places with it. But I liked their relationship. I think their relationship was good. I like that he was kind of that support for her and that person that she could talk to about it. That wouldn't make her feel like, you know, oh, because your mom's crazy. Um, and I, I actually really liked the moment when she's talking to her sister um, after the thing happens at the birthday party with the cat. And they're talking about their mom for once. They're talking about their feelings towards each other for once. It was a good scene. It was really well done. And one thing I will say, though, too, about the trailer, I think the trailer should not have shown that scene where the sister goes up to the car and you see her head turn around. They should have done that. So that that would have been an incredible jump scare for everybody if nobody knew that was coming. So I think they shouldn't have shown that in the trailer. So you would have just been shocked by that completely. You know, (laughs) that would have been good. But all in all, that whole scene, I really liked. I thought it was a good, um, you know, moment between them um, and things like that. So I, I, I think that some of these relationships that play out, like there's aspects that I really like about them, but then it's, yeah, there as people, I don't like them mostly, but as like in relationship to her, I like them. Like I like her relationships with most of these people. Um, so yeah, it, it, they did some things right with that aspect of it. But again, I feel like she is the majority of this movie. Sosie Bacon is the majority of this movie and she kind of carried it. Like, I, I feel like she, you, I don't know. She, she brought us something to it where you are intrigued enough to know, to, to want to know what's going on with her character. I think she did a good job with that. Um, and yeah, I, but again, it's, it's more of, and and I do like also the whole idea with the, um, when the, the patient is talking to her saying it looks different every time. Sometimes it looks like someone I know sometimes this and that I liked that too, because that made me think of, oh, well that kind of makes sense because trauma looks different for everybody. And I think that that was a really excellent thing to put in there like that. Um, and I, I just think that the deeper level idea of what they were doing with this movie was really excellent. I just kind of wish it was executed a little bit differently because the last half of it, when she's in that house, she's facing her feelings and everything that happened with her mom. But then her mom becomes the smiley person. and you know, just it it becomes a monster movie at that point, more than like this supernatural suspense thriller. And it was just a real hard turn for me (laughs) of like where they went with the horror element, because it's like it was a completely different type of horror for the entire kind of rest of that movie. And then it became something different at the very last bit of it. Um, I guess technically she was still supernatural, but just, I don't know, very... I don't know. It just felt like they switched up the type of horror they were going for at the very last minute. Um, And I think that that's what kind of was a little bit jarring about the ending that I wish they would have executed differently. Um, I am a little bit bummed that it was like, oh, you dealt with this. Oh, wait, no, you didn't. It was fake. 
and you didn't survive this. That sucks, but I also do kind of get it because, like we said, you might think you've dealt with it and then you turn around and, oh, wait, the trauma is right there back again, you know, just in your mind and you can't even do anything about it. And even that line that the demon says to her in the form of her ex, that's like, I'll be with you forever. You know, that can happen. That totally happens. And I think as much as I wish that she would have survived this, um, I, I think that that is a very um, surreal takeaway from the movie is that sometimes it's always there. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of felt a little bit like uneven in sort of how they do pace some of it, because I do actually agree with Sterling that they started with the things happening to her a little bit too soon. Like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there was some moment that I was like, Oh, they should have waited to do this part of it. Like, I, I just feel like they, they should have slow played it at the beginning a little bit more so that you felt like the things that happened towards the end are a little bit more earned, I guess. Um, but yeah, but uh, otherwise it, honestly, it's just that that pacing issue and the ending execution of what they were doing that wasn't my favorite. But the idea of it was so good. Like, I love movies that want to talk about trauma or um, grief or things like that that are the more internal mental horrors. You know what I mean? Like, I love movies that want to talk about that and address that. And this almost did it right. I mean, it mostly did it right. It was just the, it, you, I almost feel like the message of that got lost in just the what in the world just happened part of the end of this. You know, it's like, I see what you were doing, but I, it got lost on me because I'm like, what are you showing me now? <laughs> You're showing me this lady eating her mind. And then she just sets herself on fire in front of her ex-boyfriend the end so it's like the message was there but they quickly turn to something else and you forget what you're supposed to be caring about if that makes sense so um that's my biggest issue with it but otherwise yeah it was i agree with Justin. it was fine it was a fine movie yeah they really shouldn't have shown it at the end (laughs) <laughs> the, if, yeah. if you're, the monster yeah, if you're keeping it mysterious don't show that fucking thing like to me that was a that was like I mean I was about to say that was the final straw but of course it was it was the end of the fucking movie like what else could it be but like yeah they should have I don't think they should have shown it kind of like in signs don't show the alien at the end like Little things like that. Like I just I And if you're if you're doing the it follows method, just like it never actually really showed what it was, it just showed it in different forms, right? Yeah. If I remember right. Yeah. I and I think that's what they should have done here. They should have just had it be like a deformed version of her mother or something. You know, played into the whole trauma thing, like maybe it could be like her mom and then she'd rip off the face and it's you know, like a faceless version of her mom still smiling or some shit, you know. 
not weird nine smile yeah. guy. Anyway, you guys got any more thoughts about this movie? I don't think so. No, I'm good. Well then, on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where we're Cinema Slayers podcast or Twitter and Instagram, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers or TikTok, where we're Cinema Slayers pod or uh, YouTube, where we're Cinema Slayers podcast. Uh, shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. It'd really help us out. On YouTube, hit subscribe, hit the like button, hit the little bell reminder, all the shit that every other YouTube channel says at the end of all their videos. Just, I'm saying that same shit here. Um, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and most of all, tell those just sweet mothers because mothers love Shirtless bros? Smiling bros. You were close. Smiling bros. Smiling okay. bros. Close enough. Um, and as I was in the TikToks, the YouTubes, and this podcast, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Slayers. Didn't have anything to say. I was, <laughs> I was, I was on, I was on the edge of my seat, Justin. <laughs> we talked a long time. I was so like, like, I just what's said he, it all. What's he gonna say? <laughs> Justin's out of words. He's speechless. Yeah. Just moved out. Stunned. I guess. Well, it sounds like you overall had a better time at the movies this weekend than I did, Justin. So. Yeah. Congrats to you, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I've got nothing now either. I'm, I'm out. Oh, no, that's not. This isn't the time for this other thing. So I'll bring it up later at another time. It'll be, it'll be a part of the game. Oh, I, I was going to say, okay, cool. One movie red flag for me is Kyle G- uh, Gallner. If I see him in a horror movie, yeah. I'm probably not going to have a good time. <laughs> Cause it was, the, he was the detective. So he was yeah. also in a uh, haunting in Connecticut. Oh yeah, Ooh. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's the main guy. He's the yep. main hauntee. He's been in a bunch of other bullshit too. He was on a Criminal Minds episode as a creeper. He also played Bart Allen the Flash in Smallville. Wasn't he also in a very small role in the new Scream movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that was fine because he was there for like three seconds. I also didn't like the movie as much as you did. So that's fair. See, he's a red flag in horror films for me. Just saying. (laughs) All I know is Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Mississippi. 
with CM Murray <laughs> was way better than just regular ghosts in just Connecticut. I like my Connecticut ghosts <laughs> in Mississippi. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, what was the name of that movie? It's, it's, I love that you make it different every no, no, time. The name of the movie, the sequel to Haunting in Connecticut is Haunting in Connecticut 2 Ghosts of Mississippi. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I like my Connecticut ha- hauntings happening in the Deep South. I just, I don't like Connecticut. So I, I, I you know, I want my Connecticut style hauntings just anywhere but Connecticut. It's understandable. I really want to see like haunting. Ghosts of Georgia. Is it Georgia? Ghosts of Georgia. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's not, it's not like in, in this scenario, there's that much difference between Mississippi or Georgia. Well, it just threw me off because there is a movie called Ghosts of Mississippi, which is like a Whoopi Goldberg movie about. I like, thought that was Mississippi Burning. Georgia. Oh, maybe there is. is. A, there is a movie Mississippi Burning. Yeah. I feel like I need to look this or up. Is it, is it the Garden of Good and Evil? That's midnight in the garden of good of evil, right? Good and evil. Possibly. Yes. I don't know. I just, I just know in there's the an e- there's a garden where there is both good and evil. I don't I don't know what time of day, Justin, this garden is happening. I just know that one exists. <laughs> they are both movies. We are both right. <laughs> what Ghost of Mississippi and Mississippi Burning? Yeah, they're both movies. That's right. Ghost of Mississippi is Alec Baldwin and Whoopi Goldberg. And Mississippi Burning is uh, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. Mm. I don't know what either of them are actually about, <laughs> but I know one they're movies. about racism. I know Ghost of Mississippi is a drama. That's the one I think is about racism. Yeah. Let's see. Who even knows anymore? Apparently... Apparently, my Connecticut ghosts are in Georgia. I don't even know where my Connecticut ghosts are anymore. Somewhere in the South, you know? Well, nobody says the ghosts can't travel. Just frequent other states. I mean, unless that's part of it. If you're a ghost in Connecticut, do you have to stay in Connecticut? Do you need a special pass? I thought ghosts ghosts stayed in there where they haunted. I didn't know too many ghosts that move around and visit mm. other locations. I thought that was the point of a ghost. By the way, Sterling, you'll appreciate this. Um, when I was driving home today, somebody had a Ghostbusters car they were driving. Was it an actual like Cadillac hearse? Uh, no. There's another type of car for that one, though, right? In that movie? Not like a van almost? No. Oh, okay. But when you say the Ghostbusters car, so like it was red, like it had the red stripe and it had the ghost on the side of the door. Yeah. Like it was all pimped out, like a, decked out. to look like it. Yep. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's I saw, pretty cool. I saw a Jeep decked out with that once and I was like, that looks dumb. It's supposed to be a fucking Cadillac hearse. <laughs> And you're driving around in a Jeep Cher- Cherokee with a fucking ghost on the side of you. Like, you're dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like I like my, you know, my ghost-busting vehicles to be classics. 
kind of like hers. Just like you like your ghosts of Connecticut in, in Georgia. Yeah. Come on, That's man. Fair. What's wrong with the Jeep, man? I can't wait. That, that person's just letting you know if there's something strange in their neighborhood, you know who they're going to call. Now you know. I would you know who that never person call. I would never call somebody in a Jeep to come handle ghosts. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, the person in the Jeep, you know who they would call if there's something strange in their neighborhood. Oh, well, that's mm-hmm. fair, I guess. I can't wait till they do a mashup where we get haunting in Connecticut three ghosts of Mars two. <laughs> they can be in Mars. Yeah. So, so they- if they can be in Mars, then obviously they can travel to other states, probably internationally as well, you know? Well, I mean, I will say this, though, Justin, the ghosts of Mars, weren't they vampires? I don't remember that. <laughs> so it was something. I don't know. <laughs> Who was it that? Ice, Ice Cube. Cube. Yeah. Oh, man. But I want to see that mashup. <laughs> I want to see Haunting in Connecticut 3, Ghosts of Mars 2. And then the next one can be like the Phantom Menace or something. <laughs> In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Let me see. The 13 ghosts in the Mississippi on Mars. I don't know. You're adding the, <laughs> thir- you're adding the Black Zodiac into it now, Justin? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Bring out 13 of, them, of those bitches. Man. The 13 ghosts of Mars. <laughs> Phantom Menace. You'd have to have anyway. a big hearse to fit all them in. A big. It's just becoming progressively more obvious that this is so late at night now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we need we to We're rambling like mad people. Yes, we are. Although, I am going to come up with the ultimate ghost international intergalactic movie title not not right now but i will come up with one i'm gonna try to get as many yes. ghosts and intergalactic whatnots all in the same title and make it coherent got it i'll figure it out i forgot about the Do ghosts that. that live in the darkness son of a bitch mm-hmm. uh-oh ghost in the darkness yeah you got some options the 13 Ghostbusters of in the Darkness Falls. Not bad. Darkness Falls, that's another ghost movie. Bam. Getting there. Ghost Rider. Oh, man. Then there's the Ghost Writer. Right. <laughs> did, you know, yeah, did, no. did you know that they brought back the Ghost Rider TV series? Did they? It's on Amazon. It's on like season three. What? That's what that's are we cool. doing? <laughs> that's cool. We tangented so hard right now, but it it worked. <laughs> I don't see how we tangented it. We have not left the ghost realm once. Yeah, we still on ghosts. We still on ghosts, girl. We only we only hit about fifteen of them. It's a lot more. Right we can hit. <laughs> Oh, man. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs>